Yeah, a little frustrated this morning. We'll get into the personal stuff later. It is Texags Radio. We are presented by David Gardner's Jewelers here in the Rollo Insurance Studios. Go hour presented by the warehouse at CC Creations. When you get out rebounded and you have more turnovers and you struggle shooting the ball on the road, especially, you're probably not going to win a lot of games. Yet AM somehow was leading most of the game against Kentucky. They end up losing, especially the last six minutes of the game. Ola Buchanan joining us to get the stuff started. Good morning, OB. Uh, good morning. It was disappointing. Yeah. They played hard. Uh, they played really well in stretches, played good defense again. Uh, but they, quite frankly, can't shoot from the perimeter the way Kentucky can. No. And I think that's you know what it boiled down to, what they hit three of 15, three of 16, something yep. like that. And Kentucky had about eight or nine, maybe more than that, three-pointers. Uh, that's really pretty much what it boiled down. They gave up too many second chance. And, and Buzz going into the game says, you know, we have to uh, to win this game. We have to, you know, not give up the second chance points and uh, take care of the ball, not get, not sacrifice possessions with turnovers. They shot 18 less shots than Kentucky. And part of that was the turnovers. And part of yeah. that was giving up second chance. Everything Buzz said they had to do to win, they quite frankly did not do. They couldn't do it. And I thought they were in trouble – when they were up by two at the half and Oscar Shibway had been in foul trouble all game long and you knew he was probably going to, he didn't do much in the second half, by the way, except, you know, rack up some, some fouls and, you know, elbow people, yeah. but yeah, he's, he's still a force in the middle. Such a force. Um, yeah. I mean, he got what he did. His biggest contribution was, was getting some key rebounds, mm-hmm. key offensive rebounds. Of course, Boots Radford didn't play mo- most of the, first half either right and i did two points in the first half something like that and then he had like 20 in the second half yep um no i mean look a&m when they're on they can shoot from the three-point line and really make uh you know beat anybody but when they're off and quite frankly they're very um inconsistent uh when they're not hitting from the three-point line they become pretty vulnerable and Again, they they just could not shoot with Kentucky that day. Yep. Dexter Dennis offensively went back to what we had seen for a big stretch of the year, could not shoot. Neither could Wade Taylor. Um, and, and when that happens, look, I, <coughs> Boots carried them. No doubt about that. And, and Julius played and well enough until, I guess, until the flagrant. And then, obviously, when he got hit in the face. Well, you know, but you figure well, that Marble's going to go in against Sweeway. How much offensive success are you going to have i thought he played considering the matchup i thought he played extremely well yeah um it's unfortunate that he got the the flagrant foul but i understand when somebody throws a uh, elbow at your face and you're not and you're not a punk and you're gonna let him know you're gonna let him know that, yeah. that you know, but so explain to me how that all went down maybe i don't understand refereeing very well but to me it's either a foul there or it's a foul on Marble later. I don't know how both were. Oh, I don't know. They called the foul. Well, first of all, they, they missed it, which I don't know how you miss that at the uh, at the at midcourt when a guy throws an elbow at it, right at a guy's chin, especially when there's an official, I guess, 10, 15 feet from it, uh, appears to be looking right at it. But, you know, it's Kentucky, so it's okay. Anyway, uh, so they go down and uh, – you know, they get the ball inside to Schwebe. He turns to shoot. He gets fouled hard by uh, by Marble. Okay, they call the foul, all right? The foul's called. They say, well, 
it doesn't really matter why you did it. Now, I assume that Buzz or somebody started raising hell about, yeah, well, you're calling that, but you, and then they go back and look at it because they had missed it, and then you see the referee saw a, an, awful, an awful foul. Yeah. And uh, Call well, it fair, you don't have the foul later. Right. And it could have gotten ugly. It didn't get ugly. They were fine. You know, the, 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 the TV broadcast team missed it. The officials missed it. Um, it was, yeah, you know, do your job, officials. Call the foul when it happened. I mean, it, it's, it, it's one thing if you, you miss a foul, but when a guy at midcourt throws an elbow, and he threw an elbow later in the game too. Yeah. He's a dirty player. Okay, Oscar Sweeway is a dirty player. He's he's done that before. He's did it twice. And and the SEC, much like Alabama and football, they let things go depending on who the team is. And uh, uh, did you not make anything of Marble kind of grabbing his arm beforehand? The, the, you know what? If they want to call a foul on that, fine. But the, but the that, other one's a flagrant. <laughs> that kind of stuff happens in yeah. basketball. That's basketball stuff. Uh, uh, there's a there's an enormous difference in grabbing a guy's arm and slowing him down and, popping and, him. and throwing an elbow. And it was funny to me that the TV crew were trying to say, well, he didn't really hit him that hard. Uh, first of all, who do you, who did, was it hit, connecting to your chin? Has a 260 pound man ever hit you in the face? And, 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 and what difference does it make? I mean, I know you're supposed to be pro-Kentucky because you're the SEC network, but what difference does it make? And how do you know how hard it was? Well, so there was uh, – but it never – you know, again, you're right. Make the the call there on a flag, what should have been a flagrant foul, maybe even get you ejected, and the, the, the foul doesn't happen. You could say, well, Marble maybe should have just kept his composure more. But once again, certain I mean, people aren't wired that way. And uh, I want my big man to respond. I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you on that. I want my big man always to respond. That's what my big man is for. I want uh, Kevin Willis kind of mentality, like, oh, you touch my guy, I'm touching your. Yeah. You touch me, I'm getting and, back. And, at and, and and quite frankly, again, if some of your guards would have responded by shooting the ball well, then you know you would have been talking about how you showed them that you're not going to back down, and and you went and won. So I will say this. I, I told you before the show. I know there's a thread on the SEC commentating and Tom Hart, who's going to be on the show later. I don't pay attention. I, I legit don't listen. And that's no disrespect to any broadcaster. I, do my, I, I almost have it low on purpose because I don't want the game to be told to me what's happening. I want my eyes to tell me what's happening. I pick up some certain things. I, 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 I turned it up a little bit after the flagrants were called just to see what they were saying. And when I picked it back up, it, they were focusing more on Shibway than they were on, on Marble. They were showing that replay over and over. You told me leading up to it, it was a lot about uh, Marble. That being said, I don't pay attention to it. I don't. Like, I don't care people's opinions on a broadcast. To me, I... I typically don't either, but it was so over-the-top pro Shibway. Let's make excuses for everything that he did. Let's uh, talk about, you know, again, well... Uh, he didn't really hit him that hard. What uh, uh, was it? This was that. You know, what did he do to to draw this? Uh, Tom will come on here, and if you bring it up, I'm sure he will uh, whitewash it, and he will uh, somehow spin it like he did the time when he said something about A and M fans shouldn't be upset about stuff or or whatever. Something about football that was that during me or Gabe I, I can't even remember. But I remember a I lot remember of our a, a lot of the people that listened 
uh, were kind of frankly upset with with that take uh, and and spin it to where somehow it's A&M fans being being whiny uh, and just not getting it. But it was egregious. It was. Uh, it made you. It made you feel like Tom Hart went into the game thinking, uh, "I love Oscar Schweeboy in Kentucky, and if if something went wrong, then it must have been, it must have been something that was provoked by A and M. They, you know, early in the game, he said, "Oh, I think it was a guy Frederick. He's yakking at the A and M bench. I wonder what they said to him. Well, maybe maybe he just made a shot and turned around and started yakking, and then they responded. You know, what made you think, if you had to wonder, that A and M's bench was saying maybe they were? But you said you wonder. Uh, but the whole thing with Shweeway, it was just as if you, Tom Hart. Uh, if you have me on, if you want me to, I'll come on. I'll say, Hey, Tom, you sounded like uh, Shweeway's agent. What's the deal? You and him buds? I f- because I, f- you I were, feel like I need to go re- re- review the film. Yeah, yeah if I were you, I would. Uh, and again, like, I can't even tell you who was on the Cowboys call yesterday. Uh, and I watched the game. Greg Olson and the... Kevin Olson. guy. Kevin guy, right? I think his name's Joe Davis or something Is like that. Is it Joe Davis? I, I mean, no, probably not, but... Okay. I know it's... The, I just don't... I mean, I... And by the way, I guess we can get into that here in a minute. Uh, that didn't go... Well, that probably went exactly how you thought it would go. I have gotten to the point where I almost expect Dak Prescott to screw up. And he threw one horrible pass that led to a, a early, that was an interception, that led to a, a San Francisco field goal. And then I don't put this completely on him because uh, if you're watching the game, the uh, Cowboys had a had just – Gained eight yards. They had a second and two at about the, I don't know, the San Francisco 25, 20, something around there with about a minute 20 left. And I'm thinking, I had a friend there, uh, and I said, they've got to run the ball here. If you don't get the first down, you still have two shots at it, and what you want to do is leave as little time on the clock for San Francisco to respond. Tag throws an interception on the very next play. They leaves San Francisco with enough time to go down. They get a field goal with like seconds left, and you go down nine six instead of being up maybe nine six. Maybe you're tied six six. Maybe you're up thirteen six. You know you don't ever want to assume an extra point with that guy, that kicker. But um, I think you expect Dak Prescott to make a mistake, and you expect. Mike McCarthy to – I don't know that I've ever known of a coach at any level. Okay, Kevin Sumlin, I guess UCLA. But to consistently botch clock management to Mike McCarthy, he has no clue of, uh, uh, of the concept. Would you have gone for it on fourth and ten with two – whatever it was, 220? Was it fourth and ten at that point um, at the end of the game? They got yeah, the ball no. back, but would you have gone for it there or do you think they made the right call there punting? Uh, you know what? I probably would have gone for it with the idea that if you get it back, you're going to have to go score a touchdown. Okay, so what's easier? What's easier? Getting 10 yards in one play or 80. probably going 80 <laughs> yards and probably a yeah. minute with no – and by the way, Dak had a chance to redeem himself. He threw a long pass 
to uh, Michael Gallup, who was behind the 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 coverage, and it, if it's not a touchdown, it's going to be a huge gain, and he just he missed him. He yep. threw it behind the receiver, so it was frustrating. Hey, before I forget, yes, sir. Okay, because we want got so much to talk about her, but I've got a I got to thank Joe K. Um, I mean Jack K. Excuse me. He's a fan. Okay, he listens to Texags in Austin every day. Wow. He is a huge fan of the show. Joe K is his name? Joe K from Austin. Thank you for the pecan pie. It was appreciated and it was enjoyed. He sent it. Did you have somebody test the pecan pie first before you tried it? Oh, no. No? No. Just jumped right into it and it was awesome. There's certain folks that if they send it to you, you're like, oh, this is safe. And there's others I'm like, they're not a big fan of me. Well, I talked to him on the phone because he's the cousin of a, I'll say, client of my wife. She works... Uh, in health field now, and uh, a man who's uh, uh, I've gotten to know and really like a lot, and this was his cousin. And one day he called me and said, my cousin listens to your show all the time. Would you talk to him on the phone? I said, sure. You know, so uh, we love our, our Texags listeners. We love our Texags subscribers. It's a Texags family, and when they reach out, we just want to say, hey, thank you so much because we appreciate you. Uh, always listening and reading. I would say every person who has approached me, everyone has been fantastic. There hasn't been anybody who hasn't gone out of their way to be super nice. I know sometimes when people type, it's a certain way. In person, everybody's been, it's just, uh, we, we have great subscribers and great listeners, no doubt. We appreciate them. Hey, um, we're kind of late. Sorry about that. No, it's all right. All good. We, we had a lot to get into. Let's go around the room and say hello. I know Louis probably say, no, not at 818, but it is what it is. And we go see Nick Savage behind the glass. Nick, good morning. Howdy. Good morning, y'all. How are you? I'm good. I had a fun weekend. I went to New Mexico, did a little skiing in Taos, um, got to hang out with some buddies, kept up with the game though. Every... You know, I go down the slope, and every time I got down, I pull out my phone, check the score, it's tied. Go back up, go down, check the score, it's tied. And then eventually got the notification that they dropped it. But um, I'm interested to hear y'all, y'all's takes on it and kind of keep me up to speed on everything. I, I think the way AM plays against teams like Kentucky, who, by the way, they're not the Kentucky, but they're starting to figure it out. You can't, go, you can't play anybody in the SEC, really, and turn the ball over more, get out-rebounded more, and shoot poorly. You're not going to beat Wofford that way or, or Kentucky. Yeah, you're right. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty, pretty much. We go to the News and Social Center. Kay Nagley. Good morning, guys. How are you all? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I had a good weekend. It yeah, was, did you watch Rocky? I, I didn't. You know, I was too busy. You know, I was, it was silly week, so I was just reading through my syllabuses and, and huh. making sure we're all good there. So. I, I told you and Kennedy, uh, Kevin, I should say, that uh, that was part of your assignment. I know. At I'm some sorry. point. I'm at some sorry. point. I will. I'll do it. I promise. All right. What's happening? <laughs> hey, women's basketball. I know. They finally were able to overcome their seven-game losing slump. Janaya Barker was back. That was her first game back in a while. Um, and then they upset Joni Taylor's former squad, 73 to 70, or 75 to 73. So good for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So they have eight players yesterday? They had eight, yes. See, that's all they needed. One more player. Yep. Well, a pretty darn good player, too. Yeah. But yeah. What else do we have there? Uh, as we know, men's basketball dropped a 67 60. 76-67, sorry, that score got me, decision to the Kentucky Wildcats on Saturday at Rupp Arena, snapping their seven-game win streak, handing the Aggies their first conference loss. Also, the number 5 women's tennis team swept Tulane 7-0 as the Aggies remain undefeated to start dual match season. 
All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. When we come back on Texags Radio, we can continue down the uh, dialogue of Aggie basketball for sure. We'll have a lot more of that throughout the show. But also, did you see, uh, I'm just going to ask you before we go to the break, did you see Ed Reed this weekend? Yes. All right. We'll talk a little bit about that because I have, I have multiple opinions and they're not, they're not necessarily aligned on it. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Right now, we're talking Fargo's Pit Barbecue, 1701 South Texas Avenue in Bryan. Uh, OB, what do you think they have going on today? Today, I really don't know because they went. I always thought they were closed on Monday. They are closed on Mondays. Yeah, they are. They're closed oh. on Sundays and Mondays. See? It's you're like, trying to. It's you're, like a barbershop. You're trying to trick me. Well, I just. I knew. Shouldn't every barbershop be open on, on Sunday? You would think, but I think they're closed, aren't they? A lot of them? I would think that's one of your busiest days. For some reason. Car lots are sometimes closed on Sundays yeah, too, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that'd be a busy day. We'd think. But right now we're talking about Fargo's and the special start on Tuesday. So tomorrow, what do you think they have? Uh, is tomorrow brisket? Tomorrow you've got rib tips. Ripped, of course, rib yeah. tips. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're so good. Tuesdays and Saturdays. Uh, of course it is. Who, who are, you're like, when it comes to Fargo's menu, you're like, I don't know. I want to say Rain Man, but you're not Rain Man. You're, so, you're like, you just have this memory. It's just well, amazing. Well, just, it's really, I'm, I know about the, the rib tips for sure. Yeah, and, on and I know they got the catfish on Saturdays. Yeah, uh, is that, is that I mean, I'm sorry, on Fridays. Sorry, thank you, thank you, yeah. And then, you know, I think the pork chop might be Wednesday. I can't remember if it's Wednesday or Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. yeah. But you, you. As you get closer to the day, you can start smelling it, and you tell me. I like their food a lot. I love it. It's very good. They've been around for a long time, 22 years at least. Football weekends, office parties, 1701 South Texas Avenue in Bryan. Without a doubt, the best barbecue in town. That's their trademark because it's true. Go check out Fargo's. Tex-Ax Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers here on the Rollo Insurance Studio. Studio. Um, it is the Go Hour presented by the warehouse at CC Creations. Maroon never looks so good with Maroon U. If you want to text the show, I see a bunch of them coming in. You can do that on the AMB text line, 979-693-1150. AMB, a call station branch at the Amarillo National Bank. Good Texas Banking, the website, amb.com. All right, Olin. Uh, actually, I want you to make this statement you just made right before... Uh, the, sh- the segment started because it was a basketball-related topic about Auburn and how similar they are. Yeah, if you'll break down and look at what they've, you know, the, the way their schedule has gone, um, they're so similar to A and M. I mean, they're almost like mirror images. You know, I think if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I don't have it in front of me right now, so I'm going off memory. You know, Auburn beat Florida by like by like three. Uh, they have some losses early that that might be looked at as concerning. Yep. Um, but uh, you know the, the the record in SEC play is similar. Uh, a, a lot of the games and you know I, I know tran- there's no transitive properties or whatever is that if that's the the right word. But a lot of the scores are very similar. The, the teams they played. It looks like uh, a very even matchup when uh, A&M goes to Auburn. I would say that A&M matches up with everybody, even though they have to outwork everybody, right? That's, that's their DNA. That's how they, they even the, they muddy the waters to even up these games. Well, I'm just, I, I'm not, I, I'm just basing it on the way they've, they played yeah, the outcomes of their games. Uh, you know, they like they both played Memphis. Mm-hmm. They both lost to Memphis. A and M actually played a closer game to Memphis, but the the Memphis Auburn game was very uh, was very competitive. You know, they they lost a game at USC. Uh, you know, I don't know if USC's 
as good as uh, Washington State or not. I know in the Pac-12 they probably say USC is the best t- better team, but right. they're not Washington State. Who did? Uh, I'm not Colorado. That's Colorado, what I'm saying. Yeah. Colorado might be better than USC. I don't know, but at least for them, th- their game against USC was competitive. But yeah, they be you know they've lost to Georgia. The A&M's lost to Kentucky. You know the uh, you look at the caliber of teams they played so far. They both blew out LSU. Uh, they both blew out South Carolina. Uh, so th- there are similarities in what they've accomplished so far. As yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. So for those who didn't see it, I didn't pull up the video because I forget if there were curse words or not. Uh, but Ed Reed, I guess if, if I'm saying the story correctly, he got upset on camera a couple weeks back about the conditions there. Um, and... Remind me of the university. Why is it escaping me right now? Is it Bethune-Cookman? Yeah, Bethune-Cookman. Thank you. Getting, uh, and they caught him. He apologized. But this is all while agreeing to a contract, but yet not having it ratified, I guess. And they were very disappointed. He apologized. And then over the weekend, I guess on a Friday night, he was under the impression he's still going to be the coach and was acting a certain way. They sent out a statement Saturday morning saying that Ed has decided to go in a different direction. He then gets together with the team. And goes on this emphatic speech, and it seemed from the heart. But then Dion mysteriously calls and Dion Sanders and is on big screen with the team that he's talking to, and they have a back and back, and the whole thing is being recorded. It just seemed a tad bit orchestrated, but yet very sincere because I think Ed really does care about those players and what they mean and beyond the football field. I think that is something that is very fair. Unfortunately, though, there are consequences when you say things about a university, even if he's right. Right. Supposedly, and I don't know if this is true or if I've got it 100% correct, they had some really bad facilities, and Ed Reed actually used some of his money, his own money to upgrade them. Yep. And you're like, why do you have to do that? You know, Bethune-Cookman will play a couple of games a year that they'll get a big payday. They, you know, they'll take it. They'll go play Florida State or Miami or somebody and agree to get their heads beat in. <laughs> for you know million dollars right and you have to where's the money go not there not there it's obviously not going back into the football program for the kids that just got their head beat in right yeah and did you see a bunch of the recruits were landing on campus or that day and the day he that they were only there because of ed reed right and that's going to be their kind of impression of what they have there well i do think that and I don't know if this is the case at Bethune-Cookman or not, but I do think there is a lot of schools that their presidents and whatever uh, look at their university and as a in their football program as a way to, hey, we can send those kids as lambs to the slaughters to play Alabama and Florida State and Florida, whoever, and we can use that to fund our own, our own pet projects. And I'm sure you're, I get it, some of the money, but they don't typically put as much money back into the athletic program for the kids that uh, that earned it. Now, I don't know if that's the case there, but it sure sounds like that's what Ed Reed was getting at. Yeah, and look, I don't know what kind of job that is for Ed Reed, and you know, I'm sure he's embarrassed about the whole situation, that it had to be this way. And sometimes, so if we were to say things about this company, it would, you know, regardless, you, you just you got to be careful in that situation. But he is a guy that independently, not independently, yeah, football, he's got the money. He's fine. He wants right. the opportunity to better kids' lives 
Um, for him, I don't care what they think. I'm trying to make these kids' lives better. So that's the part I have empathy. Uh, but I also thought it was a little like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a student who recorded it, but it just seemed a little staged. Uh, maybe. Um, I would, I'll say this. If the facilities were as bad as, as they were reported to be, and Ed Reed put up some of his own money to make things better, that in itself, at least in my mind, uh, gives a lot of credence to what he was saying. Absolutely. And he's not going to ask for that money back either. He's, he wants those kids to have a great experience. Look, if again, if, if as a university you're willing to let your kids go play up in those, in those big payday games uh, to get you know physically and to some degree mentally, they know they're going to get beat, but still you don't get to be, want to get beat down too bad. But when you, know, you agree to let them go get beat like that, uh, you should put a sizable amount of that money back into the program. And maybe they do, but if, if your new coach – who made a lot of money playing professional football has to take some of his own money to upgrade your facilities. That, that suggests to me that, that, that you're not putting money back into your program. I agree. All right. When we come back here on Texas radio, a couple different directions we can go with the show. I think we can continue down the basketball um, side of things because I think there's a lot to get into, but some news on the coaching front with Texas A&M and uh, an addition, so we can at least touch on that before Billy joins uh, the show. You can text us on the A&B text line, 979-693-1150. All right, so I use OB as an example all the time, but it doesn't have to be OB. It can be your, your grandfather. It can be your uncle. This kind of sounds like Heritage Films, but I'm not talking about Heritage Films. I'm just talking about like when you live with pain, like my mom, for instance, lives with pain. You don't have to live with pain, uh, not with uh, QC Kinetics out there. If you're tired of knee pain, shoulder pain, pain in your hips, you don't have to go through another year of being in pain because next genera- generation pain management has arrived here in College Station, and that is QC Kinetics. They're the nation's leader in cutting-edge regenerative medicine. Regenerative medicine is amazing, an all-natural process that uses highly concentrated healing properties from your own body. They put them directly into achy joints to restore and repair that damaged tissue. I'm talking about lasting pain relief, everybody. No drugs, no surgery, no downtime. This is something that if you Google, you'll see pro athletes have been doing for a long, long time. And now the average Joe can get it done with QC Kinetics, who's got over 100 clinics in America. They know uh, they're here with regenerative solutions that can get you moving once again pain-free. If you're sick of living with pain from arthritis or injury, call the local medical professionals at QC Kinetics for a free consultation, 979-452-6000. QC Kinetics, 979-452-6000. That's 979-452-6000. Tech Radio presented by David Gardner Jewelers in the Rollo Insurance Studio. It is the Go Hour presented by the warehouse at CC Creations. I see a bunch of text messages. We will certainly get to those here momentarily. Uh, later on in the show, Billy Lucci will be joining us for the 10 o'clock hour. If you want to be a part of that discussion, uh, you can send us some text messages to... Uh, give you an impromptu, I guess, if you will, ask Lucci. Um, just a couple early ones before he probably records his this week. All right, OB, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Tyler Santucci. Billy reported earlier, looks like he could be heading to Duke to be their uh, defensive coordinator. And I think he summed it up well, but I'll, I'll and I don't know if I'm, he said it like this, but I think it, it's going to work out for all parties involved. Yes. Uh, guy gets his chance to move up from a position coach to a uh, coordinator position. Got to take that as a step up in your career. Uh, I hear that I don't know Tyler Santucci. Uh, I've heard Billy and some others say he's a really good guy, and 
But I also have to look at the bottom line. The bottom line tells me that A&M has not had uh, good linebacker play yep. and has lost some big linebacker recruits as well as getting some. Yep. Look at it both ways. Yeah, I'm absolutely. excited about the kid from Temple. I'm excited about the kid from Te- uh, from uh, Katie. Yep. Um, so, you know, gives you another opportunity to see if you can bring in somebody that can uh, get coach up these linebackers a little bit better that you have and maybe be able to recruit some or get some of the big-time guys and keep them. I think it's uh, part of it is the – Timing is everything, right? So I would say a year ago, even though they lost out on Harold Perkins and uh, they went eight and four, Tyler's name seemed to be a lot of cachet here around town, right? This year, five and seven season, linebacker play wasn't extraordinary by (laughs) any stretch. And so the momentum, at least here internally, wasn't what it is. And you get an opportunity to be a DC, that's hard to pass up regardless, especially understanding that things haven't looked as rosy here over the last 12 to 24 months. Well, I think most people, uh, most coaches, if they got an opportunity as a position coach to move to uh, a coordinator role at a – it still is in a power five job, and especially with a coach that that you know. Yeah. I I think 99 out of 100 guys are going to take that opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you get an opportunity like that, um, you jump on it, right? Everybody, I assume, may not be the case. A lot of guys are content, but most guys are hoping that someday they're going to work their way up into a head coaching position. And in most cases, unless you're Dabo Swinney or a couple, in a few, or very few others, uh, you have to become a coordinator before you become the head coach. And... Uh, Again, you have an opportunity to be the, a coordinator. Uh, it, you know, 99 times out of 100, you take it. But uh, I think in A&M situation, again, um, fair or not, Tyler said Tucci has gotten a lot of the blame for what's going on with the linebacker situation here. Yeah. Uh, like I said, fair or not, it's probably – Better for him to again move on and take a better job, and, and like also, said, it gives A and M a chance to bring in somebody that may be able to do better. Is he wasn't a part of Durkin's? He was part of Elko's staff, yeah, and he joined or Durkin absorbed him, if you will, mm-hmm. right? And right. I think sometimes the fit and like what you're good at, and what sometimes it's just you deal with what you have, but then if you have a chance to go where you kind of at least your skill set is needed differently. Um, it, it it just matches better. And if I'm not mistaken, and I might be, but isn't by trade uh, Dirk and a linebackers coach? Yes. That is so correct. you never know what's going on there. Could be a disagreement in the way they see things, right. or they could be. It just yeah, be like they, they might have been perfect. Fine, yeah. I don't know, but uh, I'll just leave it at that, that. That if you're a position coach with a chance to be a coordinator, 99 times out of 100, you take it. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, by the way, you can text us on the AMB text line or call us up 979-693-1150. 979-693-1150 is the number to call the show. Uh, it is Texags Radio. Let's uh, also talk about a new addition, OB. Tyron Smith, wide receiver, UTEP, uh, a UTEP wide receiver, has transferred to Texas A&M. There could be others here in the works, but uh, 
People were really excited about him. 71 catches for 1,039 yards and seven touchdowns last year. Now, you could say, well, you know, they're playing in that whatever conference UTEP is in now. And quite frankly, I can't even remember. <laughs> but, you know, he had eight catches for 71 yards against Oklahoma. You know, that's yeah. that's big-time football, and he went out there and, and was productive. He had four catches for 99 yards and a touchdown against UTSA. Well, they may not be Power 5, but I guarantee UTSA is better than a lot of Power 5 teams. They can move the ball like Power 5, yeah. Right. So, um, you know, the guy was productive. Middle Tennessee, uh, say what you want about them. He had 10 catches, 117 yards, and a touchdown. Two touchdowns against Charlotte. Um, so, uh, you know, and sometimes, quite frankly, I don't know what the quarterback situation at UTEP was. I haven't paid attention to UTEP yep. quarterbacking since Jamil Showers was there. <laughs> So it's been a minute, <laughs> but um, you know, here's a guy that has played at a co- collegiate level and has been extremely productive. So uh, that looks like a good get to me. Not only does it look like a good get, that wide receiver room where people were very worried about, you know, beyond Evan could be really strong with Noah, mm-hmm. with Evan, uh, who am I missing here? Moose. Moose. Maybe Anias. Maybe Anias. You add like a Tyron Smith and the freshman. Like you're, that's becoming a position of like, okay, I see what we're doing there. I'm not too concerned about the wide receiver position, frankly, especially if Anias comes back. Yep. Uh, there's a chance Harrell comes too. There, there's a chance the uh, wide receiver who played at Alabama and also at Louisville under Bobby Petrino. Yeah, real fast guy. So they, they've got some players. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, With a quarterback, by the way. That can deliver the goods. How about that? Um, yeah, I think I would not be – I'll go out on a limb now and say that A&M's next year will have at least at least their best quarterback play, and this includes Kellen, yep. since Trevor Knight. That one season, I thought Trevor played really well. He did play really well, um, yeah. Um, I think Kellen was good in his last year, could have been better. Didn't there, you know, always had problems taking care of the ball. I haven't seen a turnover yet from uh, – from Cotter Wigman, hope he can keep that, you know, that trend going. So uh, I'm again, my concern with A and M at receiver, that's way down the list on my list of concerns. Yeah, uh, and another one that is not a concern, but it's a I want to see how it develops is the running back room because I'm not concerned about the talent in there. I'm not concerned at all. I'd like to see them add another guy. Not concerned, but I want to see whoever becomes the lead guy, how that looks like when they're the lead guy. Yeah, I think they've got guys who are capable, you know, and you can be good at running back. I, I believe they're going to be good at running back. The problem there is you were, you're going from good, from great to good. It's kind of like when Kenyon left, right? Like, you know you have some talent here, and you know they've got some skills, and they'll, but when you, when you go from Kenyon Green to somebody else, there's definitely a learning curve. Yeah, it's just not going to be quite the same, is it? Uh, but maybe, I mean, Ruben Owens, so, so Le'Veon showed me a lot this year. Amari showed me a lot in his, his limited time. Yeah. I, I like the guys. I like the guys they have. I really do. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, the, the bar there to reach the standard is pretty high. Yeah. And I still think that I know you do, but I still think not all the A&M population understands just how special Devon A chain was because quite frankly his 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 offense kind of betrayed him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
And uh, but when he had to be, when, when, when you, he had to turn it on, when you gave him a little help, he turned it on. When you gave him a, a little help, minimal help, he showed that he was elite in every every way in it, that elite can be defined. Yep. All right, let's hit a break here. When we come back on Tech Act Radio, we'll get to your text messages and your phone calls, 979-693-1150. Let's talk Heritage Films. That's uh, Chance McLean's company. He does great work there at uh, Heritage Films, and his goal is to continue making uh, films for families out there because bottom line is these are stories that can be shared with family over time, over generation, over generation. That's what Chance does. He sent me an email recently, and it talks about uh, they do custom films for family-owned businesses as well. Any kind of family business, multi-generational, farmers, ranchers, anything out there. And we know we got a lot of those who listen to this show. Uh, so think about that as a family video. It can be about the business that you guys have created. It can be about the patriarch and the family. It can be so many different things. But Chance is so creative at telling these stories. And I've, I recommend it to you. And it's hard for me to recommend a friend because whenever you do business with a friend, it's like, it gets kind of dicey. I'm telling you, this is one that you'll, you'll email me later because I've gotten the emails and be like, David, you, you were exactly right. Uh, it is Heritage Films, the website, yourheritagefilm.com, yourheritagefilm.com, 713-893-8341, 713-893-8341. All right, everybody, Texas Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers in the Rollo Insurance Studio. It is the Go Hour presented by the warehouse at CC Creations. Let's go to the news and social center. Kay Nagley with us. Kay, there's some text messages and some thoughts. There are. Boses from Katie says, Morning, guys. I get the AM is the villain in football, but why in basketball are we getting screwed by the refs? Kentucky is a brand program. Why are they trying to screw AM when they're doing their best on the court? The elbow incident was clear, but the refs were blind. What do y'all think? I don't think that there's a vendetta against AM by these refs. I don't. Maybe I, there's a favoritism towards Kentucky. Uh, there you go. I don't think, yes, I agree with you 100%. They don't say, man, we don't like A&M. It's like, oh, well, Kentucky's playing. Uh, that's Calipari. Don't want him to yell at us. And I would say media-wise, too, Jimbo and football on this side, I think Buzz is pretty, I don't know if beloved's the right word, but I think Buzz is pretty well-respected. And, and people, media, for the most part, that talk when they talk A&M basketball, which is not often, it's pretty uh, favorable about what he's building. Yeah, I think media likes Buzz. I think uh, there's not a, a a general feeling that media wants to see A&M basketball fail. Like I do believe there is a uh, the media wants to see A&M football fail. Did you feel that way before Jimbo? Uh, no. Maybe no. a little during Johnny, second year, maybe? Uh no. Or was he still beloved? I don't think I don't think Johnny was ever beloved. I think Johnny was a curiosity. Yeah. And he made uh now he was very polarizing. You either liked him or you didn't. I think your first his first year everybody liked him. And then it was all the off field stuff. People realized what a questionable guy he was. Sure. And they didn't like that. Uh and then the whole, well, he, you know, he sold his autograph, which everybody should have been able to do, but at that time he couldn't. Um but uh, no, I, I don't think – in fact, I think the media uh, was actually pretty kind to A&M in those years. So you think it's more of a Jimbo thing yes, than it is I think, an a think I think, I think uh, Billy said it, and I agreed with him one time. He said, all these guys first were writing, there's no way that this is ridiculous, this idea that Jimbo Fisher's going to A&M, and they were all writing that and saying it, and then he did. And then yeah. the fa- first thing they did was shift the narrative to – Oh, Florida State didn't want him anymore. They're about to kick him out, which was untrue. That's totally untrue. 
and and, and then it's it's been uh, pushing that he that he's a failure. Oh, look, A and M paid all this money, even though there are coaches. The coach that they beat in their last game and they beat by a couple touchdowns makes more money than Jimbo Fisher, but they don't bring that up. In the last thirty years, right? I'm using that as a number. In the last thirty years, what are the three four best A and M seasons? In the last thirty, well, yeah, and who coached those teams? Well, um, Jimbo's Kevin, got one of them. Kevin's Jimbo has one of them. Kevin Sumlin had maybe two of them. The first two on Johnny, um, and then RC. Uh, how far is ninety eight? Yeah, yeah, and RC. So, so the last three out of five coaches here have each contributed one pretty great season. I don't know if great's the right word, but pretty excellent season. Okay. Can Jimbo get two? Yeah, absolutely. I think it it, it could and should come this year. Uh, I thought it should have come last year, though. They did have a ridiculous amount of injuries, and that was a factor. But still, if you had made the move at quarterback earlier, at least you might have had another mediocre season, but yep. at least it wouldn't have been a debacle. Yep, I agree. Um Let's see. Kay, you got one more we can get in here quickly? Let's do a quick one. The Kentucky game was well coached. The Ags sacrificed from the three-point line to shut down Shibway. Needed to make threes and didn't. If four can get a shot going, they can beat anyone. Well, they always want to, the guys to shoot three-pointers, your opponent. That's, yep. that's, that's the their shot philosophy. They want. Yep. The problem is when they make them. some teams shoot three-pointers better than others. I was thinking, you know, they invite you to shoot threes and Kentucky sent in an RSVP. <laughs> OB, thank you, sir. When we come back here on Texags Radio, open segment plus around Aggieland. You can get in. You want to call in, chit chat? Let's do it. 979 693 1150. Around Aggieland, Billy later on, Buzz at 945, Tom Hart at 920. Yep, we're doing it. It's Texags Radio. Hello. Texags Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. A couple things we'll do this segment. We'll do around Aggieland. We will, uh, I'll tell you why I had a chaotic morning. And uh, what else? I had something else planned. And we'll just talk. We'll go to the text messages. Um, it is Tex Ags Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. Tom Hart at 920 and Buzz Williams at 945. Looking forward to talking to both of those gentlemen about uh, this weekend in Kentucky. So I'm going to allow, allow, it's like it's a kingdom, Nick and uh, Kay to help, you know, just kind of go back and forth for a moment. So before we get to around Aggieland, this morning, as I mentioned, was not great. You guys ever lose your keys and it's not one of those like four minute finds. It's like you don't find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've experienced that before. Does it make you want to punch a hole in the wall? Um, it depends on when or where I find the keys and if I find them, how fast. Um, yeah. So this morning, you know, so I take my boys to soccer practice. We usually leave the house by seven oh four for them to be there before school to do practice, and uh, I couldn't find my keys. And I remember last night giving my keys to my daughter to get something from the car. So I say to her, hey, Annalise, where do you put the keys? I gave them back to you, Dad. I don't think you did. I think I did. I don't think you did. So this is at maybe 6.58. And for the next 22 minutes, Yikes. by the way, they're supposed to be at practice at 7.20. Uh-huh. We are looking all over the place. Tearing apart the house. And, I, you know, and the blood is boiling. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe she did give it to me and I can't find it. Or maybe she's just an 11-year-old and doesn't know where she put it. It could be with her bunnies upstairs. It could be in the bath. We don't know where it is. 
and we're looking everywhere for it. And I'm looking at the, t and I'm thinking to myself, do I Uber to work? Do the kids miss school? Elizabeth is there, but she's getting ready. She's got to be at work. And like, finally, I take Elizabeth's car and she has to figure out a way to get to work. Too bad. Drop off people. As I'm getting to work this morning, young Elizabeth sends me a text. Found your keys. Oh, really? Where were they? In my jacket. How that happened, I have no idea. But somehow, even though she didn't have my keys yesterday, my keys ended up in her jacket, which means one of two things happened. And I'm sure many people care about this story. Mm -hmm. Number one, Annalise is crazy and put them in her jacket because that's what, which I don't think happened. Or number two, Elizabeth, when she left this morning for her first job, she took them with her thinking it was her car and just kept them in there. Plus she had her own keys. I don't know. It was just very frustrating when I lose things, it, 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 especially when you're on a, in a business that time is of the essence. But here we are. Here we are. At least you, at least you I couldn't imagine David Nuno Ubering here this morning. That would have been, that would have been a good, good story. Well, I would have had to call somebody, if not yeah. Uber. Yeah. Uber, yeah, 20 minutes to get to you. Well, my show started. I would have started the show on the phone. Uh, <laughs> from the Uber, from the backseat of the Uber. And Uber guy's trying to chit-chat with me. Hey, you want a mint? I'm in the middle of a segment. Relax. It is now time. Sorry, guys. I just had to get that off and say it out loud. Around Aggieland, presented by Normandy State Bank. Normandy State Bank, rock solid banking. The website is normandystatebank.com. Kay Negley. All right. Good morning, guys. Let's get to it. So first of all, Texas a men's basketball dropped a 76-67 decision to the Kentucky Wildcats on Saturday at Rupp Arena, snapping their seven-game win streak and handing the Aggies their first conference loss. They will now head on the road to Auburn um, this week, so hopefully they can pick up another win. As we know, uh, Janiah Barker, it was her first game back for women's basketball in a while, finally had eight players to go for, to play with, but she recorded a career-high 24 points in her return to the court, propelling Texas A&M women's basketball to a Sunday 75-73 victory over Joni Taylor's former squad, the Georgia Bulldogs. They fell out of a seven-game losing slump, so congrats to them for getting some momentum. They will now return to action next Sunday uh, when they travel to Nashville for a noon contest against Vanderbilt. Track and field, the women's 4x4 head team headlined the Red Raider Open inside the Texas Tech Sports Performance Center on Friday, and then the Aggies ended the day with 20 athletes registering personal best, five all-time top 12 performer list marks, six event winners, including the women's 4x4. And then some women's tennis, the number, number five women's tennis team swept two lanes 7-0 as the Aggies remain undefeated to start dual match season, so they're starting off with a bang. Then one more thing. We only have 25 days till baseball season, so it's right around the corner, and I know there's a lot of spring sports to be excited about. Yeah, uh, I'm pumped about it. Baseball, obviously, top of mind, and I also want to see how softball rebounds this year. You know, it's always when you have a, a new coach, Trisha Ford coming in, It's there's a transition period. We're seeing with Joni, um, and hopefully uh, the hardest days are behind them now, and we'll, we'll see how things shake out there for the softball team. So I guess what I wanted to do this segment now is – Tell you guys, you don't have to worry about Aggie basketball just yet. I, I think, and, I, and I'm speaking to mostly of the B, BASs out there. Are you familiar with what BAS means? Okay. BAS. Mm, you haven't been not. around long enough. BAS is battered Aggie syndrome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I just BAS, it, it, you, you get, it, it typically hits you. It can hit you in college, but it really hits you by your 30s. 
when you're still like waiting. And then when you get to your 40s, like you're wondering, is it ever going to happen? And by your 50s, you might have given up hope. Mm -hmm. It is part of it. And it just continues on. Uh So many of us have BAS in many. And I'm just telling you, don't have BAS right now about Aggie basketball because of one game, A, one game, but also looking ahead at the schedule that's ahead. We don't know how this thing is going to play out. But I do think Buzz Williams in particular deserves a little bit of cachet when it comes to, or a little bit of grace when it comes to how his teams do rebound, for lack of a better word, rebound from issues. Even last season, before you know they got hot in the NIT, one of the things that I remember coming on this show and telling you guys often was how he would diagnose a certain problem, and typically by the next game, that wouldn't be such a problem. Now, could they pop up from here and then? Yeah, of course. That's, that's called sports. But there were games where like, are they ever going to hit a free throw again? And then they'd be pretty darn good in the next game. Are they going to be able to offensive rebound? And they'd struggle for a game with that, and they'd come back and be fine there. So we have those moments when it comes to a Buzz Williams team. He is so good at diagnosing a problem and fixing that problem pretty much by the next game. And if you're looking ahead and thinking to yourself, man, they lost that Kentucky game, a game that they were leading, but they just couldn't hit anything. And now, oh, now you got to go to Auburn, who's better and technically or statistically. And then, you know, and you're thinking to yourself, you got to get the 13 wins and you already got one. You only got four more to play with and you've played six games. So you've got a ways. To, yeah, I understand all that. I get it all. But jo- enjoy the journey because there are going to be some ups and downs. Could there be a couple downs here over the next week? Maybe. Is there going to be one of those like, Knockout punches to the left where they suffocate Auburn and they, you know, they keep them the 23 points in the first half. A&M scores their 40 and we move on, potentially. Is there another loss in their cards there? Maybe. Like, I guess my point is just let this one play out. Because when you look at the schedule, you got Auburn, Vandy, Arkansas. Those next three, and, and you're going to have Georgia and, and Auburn beyond that, but those games right there. You can, I don't know, if you can take two of these next three, you're feeling much better about yourself. If you take one, obviously you're not feeling great, but there's still plenty of time. If you're looking at that number 13, but also how does the rest of the SEC play out? So let's just watch this. And as speaking of like fixing things, let's let's look at it. What what do the Aggies have to do to, to, to fix this one? Well, first off, you don't want to get Julius Marble in foul trouble. And I don't think you're going to have that much of a... I mean, you might get into foul trouble because you're an aggressive team and that's what happens, but you're not taking on Oscar Shibwe at Auburn. You're just not, all right? So that's one thing that hopefully you can cut down on, right? You also want to cut down on your turnovers and you want to force more turnovers. Something we typically see the Aggies do is win the turnover battle. Against Kentucky, Kentucky only had 12 turnovers. A&M had 16. That's, That's a problem. Kentucky had four blocks. The A&M's two blocks. These are all part of things that Buzz can fix. But the most important thing that they will probably focus on is the rebounding. When you get out-rebounded by seven, you know, not, not a great number. But the offensive rebounding is the one that I really look at. 17. 17 to four. You've got to out-rebound it offensively by 13. Those are all things that I think... They will self-diagnose, figure out what went wrong, and also you're taking on a different personnel. So don't necessarily get all that worried about, oh man, we didn't, we gotta, we should have had that one against Kentucky. We're in the same kind of ballpark as Kentucky. So much more season to be played. So much more season to be played. And I think defensively they will be better. I mean, they gave up 47 points in the second half. They don't do that. Not this year. They don't. 
47 is a lot to give up. Uh, I like the 29 that they gave up in this. And if you could have kept them at 30 for both halves, it would have been great, right? Because uh, A&M, even though I think they struggled offensively, in the second half, they ended up getting 36. And this is where the scoring drought, you know, in the last six minutes, they just weren't scoring the ball very much. Uh, so bottom line is there's a lot of basketball to be played. And you can look at that magic number, but enjoy the journey and not the end spot because there's a lot of games in between that are going to be swing games. And, I, and maybe Kentucky was one of those, maybe. But I think we all figured Kentucky eventually would kind of bounce back, and they've certainly done that. And A&M, as good as they started, you didn't expect them to go undefeated in league play. A lot of time uh, left here when it comes to uh, Aggie hoops. Let's go back to Kay Nagley there at the News and Social Center. I know we got a couple more text messages, Kay. We do. Jim and Temple says, with uh, Tyler Santucci gone, Durkin will be able to coach his specialty, which is linebackers. Moving Overton, White, and Silla to linebacker was apparently done before the LSU game, um, and Overton was a QB spy. It was the key for that defense. I think that will be a plus for AM linebackers. Also, all the returning defensive linemen, we will still have those position changes I mentioned need to happen. Durkin can now coach his specialty. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, good stuff there. What? I don't really care. Quit bragging. What are we talking about? Uh, that's just, he was saying, hold on, how do I say this? Basically, like, your little story about losing your keys. He was like, some of the most simple things can trip us up. Yeah, and and um, it's, it's and David, I don't know if he was being nice for me, but uh, he's usually very nice. But my, I think my point is, and I think it's your point here too, on the drive to school, before we had found my keys, I remember turning around and looking at all four of my kids and, and I was like, hey, just so you know, this ain't going to matter tomorrow or the next day. Like, it's in the moment, it kind of infuriates you, but it yeah. doesn't matter. Like, none of this is life-changing events. Like, that, that's what really matters. This is like an inconvenience for right now. We may be 15, 20 minutes late to practice, but like at the end of the day, it's not a big deal. Also, just a Monday morning, you're trying to get going. I mean, you're trying to be, you know, in a routine and a schedule, and it just throws you out of whack. So. Well, it did. And also, um, it's funny, as I'm driving my wife's car, not my car, mm-hmm. I go, what else could go wrong? You know, and, and Cruz looks at me and goes, Dad, last time you said that, something else bad happened. <laughs> and as I said that, the light turns on. Your gas is very low. Uh, yep. you know? And I'm trying to, like, I know my car. When the light goes on on my car, that means about 50 miles. I don't know her car. Could uh-huh. it be seven miles? Could it be 100 miles? I don't know. But I drove straight here. I didn't stop because I was running a little bit behind. Are you the kind of person that has to go get gas as soon as that light turns on? Or? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, you I, wait I, very... I wait. I wait. Okay. I don't Interesting. Want, I don't want I my friends at Caldwell Country and Chef Checks to, uh, checks to hear me, but I sometimes <laughs> wait. Yes. I sometimes wait a little too long. Like Because in my mind, I'm like, I think I can make it. Because I, like, I like having the more thrill. miles later. Uh-huh. Right? So, like, I feel like, because I go to Houston all the time, right? I feel like if I fill up midway through, that's like an extra 50 miles I'm not going to have in my tank for when I get to College Station. So, I try to go as close to College Station as possible or to start my work week with a fresh tank as opposed to, yeah, I did it on Saturday afternoon. I don't want that. I want, it to, I want to go as long as possible. Interesting. I would have figured you to be the, like, have to do it immediately. Why? Because I'm person. so... Because you're very structured. Yeah. Yeah. In certain things. Yeah. In certain things. All right. Uh, let's hit a break here. We'll come back with Tom Hart. Right now, we're talking about uh, Design Spark Accelerate or Accelerate. How Would you say Accelerate or Accelerate? I don't. 
I'm going to go with Accelerate. How about that? Yeah, Accelerate. Yeah. $50,000, how's that? I was talking to a friend of mine this weekend who was like, dude, I, I love that sound of that. And he gave me a great idea that I'm going to steal and try to do. He was like a really good idea. In fact, it goes with what we talked about here, but I won't even say it out loud because I bet you he's listening right now. But if you've got an idea, a prototype, or startup in manufacturing, industrial technologies, Design Spark Accelerate program is looking for you. They're now accepting applications for Accelerate, a technology incubator program located right here in BCS in the Design Spark Innovation Center at Lake Walk. They're looking for a new, new and unique manufacturing technology and people with deep rooted passions for their projects. They're going to help you turn your idea into a design or your design into a prototype, grow your customer base, increase your business acumen, connect with industry leaders, and help protect your pitch to attract new investors. Selected applicants will participate in a 12-month study and qualify for $50,000 of in-kind funding. Design Spark Accelerate application deadline is January 31st. If you're ready to accelerate your idea, go to designspark.com accelerate to apply now. Again, it is designspark.com accelerate. We've got to show Tom doing this. We've got to show this. Pigs try to get at you. Park it like it's hot. Park it like it's hot. Park it like it's hot. I see it. Oh, Tom Hart bringing it. Texas Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. What's up, man? How are you? Are you wearing Carol's uh, hoodie? What do we got? Uh, you know, I just was cold this morning. It was 35 degrees when I woke up and I needed a hoodie. It was the first one I saw. Sometimes I think about what I'm wearing on the show. Sometimes I don't. I don't think you ever should. Just be you. You know, like, let's not worry about other people's feelings or observations. I'm glad you said that, Tom. I got a question for you. Okay, <laughs> great. Do you read your tweets ever during games that people send at you? Uh, yeah, yeah. You do? Is there a fan base that's harder on you than others? Um, who's the hardest on me? Yes, there definitely is. And the reverse of that is there's some fan bases that I have more grace with than okay. others that, that show me grace when I make mistakes. Because if you talk for two hours straight, you're definitely going to make mistakes. Um, you know, the A&M fan base would be up there. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Good thing I'm not sensitive. Hey, but I, I will ask you in your world, and I would say anytime you do a national type of gig, right? National radio show, play-by-play TV. Uh, everybody thinks you're against them. Is that how sometimes you feel like... It's very rare that you hear from people, hey, man, you were so favorite to... You showed a lot of favoritism to us. Thank you so much. If you get it from both sides, as many people point out, if you get it from both sides, you're doing it right. What makes it hard to do a... Anytime you do a Kentucky game, um, and I would say more of this than Alabama football or... You know, pick your biggest brands in college sports, right? Kentucky is a absolute monster in every way. And so the way that program is covered, the attention they get, the viewership that they get, it creates an imbalance, right? Like John Calipari is a is a big personality in the sport of college basketball. Everybody has an opinion. So whether Kentucky is winning every game or losing every game or somewhere in the middle, they're a headline grabber. Um, and so the floor gets tilted that direction. And it's really, honestly, I was thinking about this. It's really hard to pull yourself away from the Kentucky storylines, no matter who they're playing, like into the opponent. And, and I would say similar to Nick Saban, but, but even more so than Alabama football. Um, 
So yeah, that's the that's the challenge. As you know, the number we don't care who wins or loses. It, no impact on us. What we want is close games. Um, and I thought, I don't know, were we? Did you feel like we we're imbalanced? I, I didn't, but people reach out at me and they tell me that. And I, but again, yeah. like, like I will tell you, and I mean this with all due respect. I listen when I listen. Right? It's like when I, I'm engaged yeah. in the game and I'm making my thoughts as I'm watching, writing my notes for my show. Um, I hear what you guys say, yeah, but I don't always absorb what people. And that's in all broadcasts. I watched the Cowboys game yesterday against the Niners. I didn't even know who did the broadcast. I asked, had to ask Ob. So no, I, I didn't feel that way. But I think all fan bases. I remember covering the Rockets Warriors and people thinking it was favoritism towards the Warriors. Well, they were a brand. You know, like, there's, yeah. it's going to come across that way in certain aspects. You know, I approach games differently if they're on. ESPN, what we call E1 in the industry, E1, E2, or the SEC network. I, I approach them totally different. And it doesn't matter the sport, football, basketball, college baseball. And here's my line of thinking, and your viewers could agree or disagree. Um, but if you're if you found a game on the SEC network, you are a diehard fan, and you don't need me to tell you the 30,000 foot view of the team, of either team. You want to know what did we learn that day and shoot around? Give me the Dirty details because I already know everything about the team. I know about our NIT run, right? I know what happened with the selection committee last year. I know about the transfers we have and, and the roster makeup. Tell me who's playing well right now and how is our defense from an AM perspective? How are we going to stop Oscar Shibway and, and what happens when we double him? Okay, now you're doing an ESPN game. And with Kentucky especially, the, the audience nationally is much larger. There, there are people out there who don't know who the coaches are in some of these games, John Calipari excluded, because they're casual sports fans who, who may not even be college basketball fans who are watching on a Saturday afternoon. Then you have to go bigger picture. Here's where AM has been. Here's where Buzz came from. Here's their personality. Here's how they score points. Here's what they want to do defensively. Here's Oscar Sheba. Anyway, so uh, I'm being a little redundant here, but I think you get the point. On SEC Network, even our football coverage is different because we know that if you're watching the SEC Network, you know these teams inside and out, no matter who you're a fan of. You know what the next recruiting class looks like. You know what the coach's contract looks like. You know every time the quarterback has a hangnail. And so it's it's a much deeper dive than the 30,000-foot view on a, on ESPN or ABC or even ESPN2 some days. Tom, I'm glad you say that. Uh, on a much smaller scale, when I was in local news, I remember they had us on Twitter be more sports savvy when we tweet stuff, right? Because the, the people on Twitter typically know sports storylines. But then when I had to do, you know, the the view on Facebook, right? When you had to post on Facebook and have updates, it needed to be more for your uh, 75-year-old grandmother who kind of wants – it's just a different audience, and you tailor your 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 storylines to that audience. Yeah, yeah. And and it's about rep, uh, recognizing who and what – that audience is so and there are times i'll tell you this dave and, and i think you can understand and appreciate this there are times where we would be in the middle of a game and we go to break and and i do this uh, regularly if not semi-regularly um i'll say hey listen we're really heavy on team a what do we got on team b you know we're imbalanced what and and you've got a as a broadcaster um you have to you have to recognize that it, it's never it's, I, I don't want to say never. I can only speak for myself. 
But very rarely what viewers think is favoritism is really not favoritism. It, it's more of an imbalance because you have more information or more storylines about a certain team. By the way, I don't want to get away from the basketball. I thought AM played splendidly in that game. I, I thought the run that Buzz went on by pounding it inside to Coleman and Marble when Oscar was out of the game um, tilted the game in AM's favor. I thought Boots was absolutely amazing. And, and going against a guy in Casey Wallace, who he was matched up with, who's one of the best defenders in the SEC and one of the best in college basketball and got by him regularly. The two threes he hit early in the game uh, were huge, I thought, for him and for AM. That's Even though Kentucky hasn't been vintage Kentucky this year, that is still a very tough place to play, and AM represented itself very well. Yeah, I, you know, it was a very physical game. I think Julius Marble has shown why he should be mentioned in – Maybe not the same category as Oscar Shibway. I don't think he's going to be a you know a top five pick, but I, I think he showed in the SEC he certainly belongs as one of the elite big men. Well, l- look at his background, right? I mean, this guy played at an elite program, um, and he is not skipping a beat. What, what has made college basketball so hard this season in terms of why standings sometimes look upside down or you know convoluted or these roller coaster rides is it is very hard for people, the prognosticators preseason, to pick who's going to do well because it's really hard to predict how transfers are going to do, especially those coming up. Uh, from other leagues. We've got a lot of guys in the SEC from the Ohio Valley, from the Missouri Valley, from the MAC. Um, and some of them are having great years, don't get me wrong. But when a guy transfers in from the Big Ten and transfers in after playing for Tom Izzo, that's a that's a whole different animal. I mean, that's a guy who's played in big games. He's played in a physical league. He knows what the expectations are around a championship-level program. Um, and nothing, nothing catches him by surprise. Like, obviously, he wasn't bothered by – uh, the scene at Rupp. He wasn't bothered by the uh, the atmosphere in their home crowd. How important is this game against Auburn coming up for a And M and just really the SEC? I I did a little tiny rant before you came on, just saying like like it's it's going to be a process. And with a Buzz team, he'll probably diagnose whatever issues he saw against Kentucky and apply it for the rest of the way. Yet you know we have in our head a And M has to win thirteen games, and here's a tough tough stretch. Well, every game is winnable, and I, I people are rolling their eyes right now. Every game is winnable because games in the league this year are very low scoring. The the defense has been elite. I, last I checked, there were eight teams in the SEC shooting fifty percent or lower from two. All right, that's that's an incredible number, and it's a credit to what teams have taken away. They've taken away the three point shot. Uh, basically, they've allowed it, and teams aren't shooting great, and they packed it in. That's what Auburn's going to do against Texas A and M. They're going to play some some two three zone that's just sunken back into the lane. They're going to play some man that's sunken back in the lane to try and cut off the the A and M driving lanes. Uh, Janai Broom had a great game. Uh, the other day against South Carolina, it'll be interesting to see how he matches up with both Gordon. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, both Marble and Coleman. Um, but it's a winnable game on the road in the SEC because it's going to be low scoring and every possession matters. And Buzz's teams, as we all know, they fight for every single possession. It's going to be a tougher road environment than what they had in Lexington because that place is is louder and they're on top of you more so than Kentucky. The students are right on the floor. And, and so one single possession can can turn this thing. And as we know how close A&M was last year, 
one possession could be the difference of being in the big dance or playing at home in the NIT. And and I think his teams realize that. I mean, you look at the play that they made at the end of the prior game. One possession determines the game. They make that possession. They make that play. They get the possession. They win the game. Uh, they're going to have to keep doing things like that because every game they play is going to be close. No doubt. Talking to Tom Hart here on Texas Radio. Let's talk a little bit about Boots for a moment. He got hot in the second half. And uh, when yeah. he's – look – you look at some of the, the stat lines from Aggie players and you're thinking they, they should win that game until you look at the offensive rebounding. That being said, Boots carried them in the second half uh, offensively. Yeah, 17 offensive rebounds for Kentucky in that game. Uh, I thought the biggest shot he made was the three that he banked in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he missed his last two threes, but he hit, he hit his first two. And he's a different dude to guard when you got to be out on him 20 feet away from the basket. Um, if if he doesn't have to make five a game, but if he can pump in two, now all of a sudden you're up on him and he's got that just opens up his quick step in his driving lanes. Um, I thought it was magnificent. On the flip side, by the way, there was more threes for Kentucky that they had attempted in something like 10 years. And so the game plan the buzz had defensively was um it was magnificent, and, and and I don't know that that Kentucky was aware that that's how it was going to play out. Um, now they hit eleven of them, and and you know they hung in there. But they, what they did is what Georgia didn't do. They took away the reigning Player of the Year. Oscar's fouls certainly played a role in that as well. But they essentially neutralized Shebway. He only had seven points. He's just really tough to keep off the glass, even when you double him, because what happens is. That double is coming when a ball is in the air, when a, a pass is in the air. And sometimes what Kentucky did a decent job of was ball faking and then making a move. Those guys are on the move, and, and he's just – he's I, I haven't seen anybody like it since Rodman. I mean, really, he has a nose for the ball. He has a, a anticipation for angles, um, and he knows where that ball is coming off. And, and he knows that's – if he's going to make the league, that's how he's going to do it. So to – to give up 17 rebounds to Oscar Shibway is um, nothing to be embarrassed about. That's simply what he does night in and night out. Tom, I appreciate it, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, right, David. Good to see you. Good seeing you, man. Take care. Tom Hart there, who can bob his head to a Snoop Dogg song like the best of them. He does uh, great work there. All right, Millican Reserve time. Talk about them. Farm to table community in College Station. They got homes. They got trails. They got wide open spaces, and they're committed to uh, trading lightly on the land. Millican Reserve is creating a sanctuary for family nature and community. They want you guys to connect with each other by being with nature. Dedicated to that conservation and healthy community. Respect for the native landscape and wildlife. They've got 2,600 acres of open space, farms, and trails, and uh, an extensive network of trails throughout a wooded landscape. They've got walking, equestrian paths, creeks, ponds, gathering areas. They're committed to maintaining and restoring a natural habitat. I know many of you are listening outside of the uh, College Station, Brazos Valley area, and you're thinking, I want to move out there, guys. Well, this is a great area to go check out to, to go move because you get the feel of nature, but right you know, right close to the, the big city of College Station, as I would say. Uh, go check it out. They uh, provide a natural setting for people to connect and come together. Hiking, biking, canoeing, kayaking, equestrian trails, evening yoga, the summer camps, the music festivals, the farmer market tours, you name it. The website is millicanreserve.com. Again, that website, millicanreserve.com. Texas Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. Short segment here because Buzz Williams is going to be joining us. 
a couple of text messages about that last interview that we had uh, coming in on the AMB text line. Let's go back to Kay Nagley. Why am I doing like a game show now? Yeah, That's I become know. my thing. I know. I kind of like the introduction though. Like Kay it's a, Nagley. You need to do like the whole basketball, like standing at five foot eight. Are you five eight? <laughs> I am. Coming in at five oh, foot Lord. eight. What, what position do you play? Uh, oh, really loud, by the way. I don't know. Okay. I haven't played basketball a in a long time. Yeah. At guard yeah. from Houston, Texas, Katie to be exact, Kate Nigley. That was a great, great broadcasting voice. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think you should take over. Next next in the basketball game, I think we'll, we'll have you out there. I know how to do a broadcast voice. <laughs> yeah, I used to work for the best. One of them. Hey, how you doing? Let's go back to Kate Nigley. Go ahead. Anyways, Trey and Brian says, thank you for having Tom Hart on the show. I really enjoy his insight into the broadcast. Well, there we go. Anything else? Um, David Edmond says, you tell Tom that David Edmond loves whenever he gets an Aggie game, regardless of the sport, there will be plenty I mute, so I clearly don't think that way about everyone. Oh, good stuff. Appreciate that. And I know others have their opinion. Look, I just enjoy the game. I mean... I have eyes. I make my opinion based on what I see and, and whatnot. When we come back here on this show that we call Texas Radio, Buzz Williams is going to be joining the program. Um, yeah, do I have anything else to do here? Yes, I do. Well, we got the Association of Former Students. Randy, if you're listening, when are you coming to the studio, bro? Just broed you. Got to get you and Scott over here uh, soon enough. We'll talk to you guys about what's going on with the Association of Former Students. Uh, by the way, they've been giving back to this great university and, and Aggies everywhere, helping that strengthen that Aggie network for such a long time. Um, and their mission is just to really help Aggies all over the place, the current students and the former students. That's what they've been doing for a long time with scholarships, student assistance programs, Aggie bands, silver taps, ring day, class reunions, mustard, tailgate, traveling Aggies. That is what the association does, and they do it for you. That's why they've created IamTheWhy.com, so you can get a little glimpse about Aggies all over the place and how they've impacted them and about their time at A&M, their unique perspectives, their lens about their time at Texas A&M and beyond, and a place you can upload your story as well. It is IamTheWhy.com. Again, IamTheWhy.com, the association of former students. All right. Tech Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. Aggie basketball back at it Wednesday against Auburn. Let's go straight to the hotline. We are joined by Buzz Williams after a very physical game against Kentucky there at Rupp Arena. Buzz, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? We're good, man. Um, let's let's talk about that game. Billy's with me, by the way. Uh, physical game against Kentucky. The biggest issue, would you say, was it the uh, the rebounding? What, what would you say was the, the biggest issue in this one? Well, the biggest issue is they shot 18 more balls than we did. Mm. Uh, some of that is tied to rebounding. Some of that is tied to our turnover rate. Um, we only had four offensive rebounds. They had 18. And then we had 16 turnovers. And so it's a combination of the two, but the the end result is it's hard to win on the road against anybody when when they shoot eight to eighteen more balls. Yeah, I I was watching that game, Buzz, and I was, you know, conflicted because I knew I, I just felt like you guys had brought that that A game so many weeks in a row, and it just well, I'm sure some of it had to do with yeah, Kentucky's playing a lot better basketball right now, as you talked about during the week. They they figured it out. They're playing at home. Yep. They were backed into a corner, and I felt like to go win a game like that, not just at Rupp, but anywhere in the SEC, you, you got to bring bring it in all phases of the game. And, and this is a game where, like you just said, you talked about areas where uh, 
you know, week fell short. But I was also watching it going, man, they, they don't – in some areas it doesn't seem like they quite have it today. And I was hoping, you know, we'd watch them fight through it and come out the other side. But the fact that that game was as competitive as it was, it, even in a loss, told me like – I. As if we didn't already, but I know what to expect the rest of the year when you guys take the court. And it's going to be 40 minutes of fight, whether it looks perfect, beautiful, imperfect, win-lose. And that part to me was encouraging because I thought there was a lot of adversity that, that the team had to fight through on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think, uh, Lucci, our fight was tremendous. Yep. Um, I think your that level of fight, is almost the prerequisite to win on the road, particularly uh, in that environment against that type of team and that talented of a team. I, I, I'm glad that we're not talking about our fight and that we're not talking about our effort. Yeah. But I think once you have that level of effort, the line and the, the delicate line or the negative margin that you have to play from in that environment requires you to play with an ultra high level of discipline. Mm -hmm. And I don't think some of our turnovers were undisciplined, but part of our discipline is the pressure that we put on the rim. Like we got to the rim 44% of our possession, which is tremendous. And we shot 65% at the rim, which is tremendous. The problem is, is we didn't get enough of those. And yeah. we didn't get enough of that because we only had four offensive rebounds. Going into that game, we were the number one offensive rebound percentage team in the league. Going into that game, we were the number two defensive rebound percentage team in the league. And after that game, now we're number two in both of those categories. And yes, we're, we're glad that we're two, but in that game, if we would have stayed at that rate that we had been playing, yep. then we're going to have a chance. But when, when a team when a team shoots 18 more balls, it's just hard. And the pressure that they put on you at the rim, you have to make a choice. Are you? That was the first time in however many games 34 didn't have a double double. Yes, we have to. We made the decision. We were not going to let 34 beat us. Well, when you do that. Uh, there's going to be other things that you're giving up. And they shot it better from three than they have in a long time. Credit to them. But you you have to make a decision when you're playing a team that has the leading rebounder in the country and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And for the most part, we, we did pretty good in that regard. But we had to – we have to have more shots than the opponent. It's how we're built. It's how it's designed. And so much of our, I think, uh, I think after three weeks, I think our offense is ranked second. Our defense is ranked third. I think it's what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but a portion of the reason why our offense is good is because we get so many extra opportunities on the offensive glass. And then we also get fouled. Well, when you turn it over 23% of the time, not only – is it going to be broken floor on the other end when they're live ball turnovers? But the, the flip side of that is when we turn it over, we don't have an opportunity to get an offensive rebound, obviously, and we don't have an opportunity to get fouled. And both of those things we're dependent on. 
yes, we want to shoot a high percentage, but we've, we've done a really good job of when we miss, we get it back. When we miss, we have an opportunity to get fouled. And when, when you turn it over and you negate those two things, it's just it's, it's bad math for our team to have to overcome. Nuno, it reminds me of like you watching playoff football this week and you watch the Cowboys and the Niners. Yeah. Buzz, that reminds me of having a running yeah. game and the cumulative toll it takes at, you know, as, these, yeah. as these SEC games go on. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a delicate line, you know. Uh, we talked a little bit about it this morning uh, as a staff. The, the physicality of the games it, it is very similar to what uh, I guess everybody, most of us watched yesterday, mm-hmm. and so much like in that game on Saturday, even Wednesday against Florida, the games decided in the middle of the floor, and the. The, the the pounding that goes on in the middle. I mean, Solo's out for however long with the concussion. Uh, Jew went out because of a, a hard hit uh, in the middle of the paint. Uh, you know, like the, the physicality that's going on in the middle of the floor, you, you, you've got to manage that the right way. And we've been fortunate uh, through three weeks. We've played Wednesday, Saturday. Going into week four will be Wednesday, Saturday. But the thing I was talking to the staff about uh, today, this morning, is this will be the first time this week that we go Wednesday, Saturday, and then now next week it flows to Tuesday, Saturday. So how are we going to handle our guy's body? Because we have to work today and tomorrow, travel tomorrow, work tomorrow, play Wednesday, late game Wednesday, won't be home till 3 o'clock in the morning on Thursday. Okay, then we play again on Saturday. Well, typically, when you play Wednesday, Saturday, you're off on Sunday. And then you work Monday, Tuesday, and get ready for Wednesday. But when you have that shift from Wednesday, Saturday to Tuesday, Saturday, that requires 10 straight days of work. Uh, and we've got we've to figure out how we want to manage that physically, how we want to manage that mentally in regards to what we're going to give our guys. And then also, it, it, it's emotional, right? Like playing that hard and playing at the fever that you have to play with. It takes a lot out of your emotional gas tank, and so we've got to be we've got to be thoughtful in how we handle from today through, I guess, next to be when I talk to you guys because there's a lot there's a lot upcoming over the next ten days. Yep. Talking to Buzz Williams here on Texas Radio, Buzz. Regardless of the outcome on Saturday, uh, how much better are you all today than you were, let's say, a month ago? Well, that's what I told our team. Um, we're after losing to Wofford, which is a really bad loss, if you look at what we've done since Christmas night through the first third of SEC play, would you take five and one with two road games and three home victories, uh, two road victories? Absolutely. And so now how are we going to respond to we lost our sixth game? How are we going to handle that knowing that our response is predicated on we're about to do the same thing again as we start week four. I think Auburn's been ranked however many weeks in a row. And if you take away the COVID season, uh, the last time they lost at home was to us in year one. Wow. Uh, the COVID season played uh, funny tricks on everybody, including us. They did lose at home during the COVID season. But so many of those games, uh, regardless of team, they had multiple guys not playing. It was 
nobody in the arena, all of those things that we all know. But the last time everything was somewhat normal, uh, the last time that Auburn lost at home was to us. And so the test that we had on Saturday, that's the same exact test that we're going to get on Wednesday uh, in regards to the environment, in regards to the talent, in regards to how hard it is uh, to win on the road and how thin that margin is. And so as I mentioned to the team, I'm thankful that we're five and one and we've had great growth and we've had incredible consistency in our rhythm and our routine. The staff has been spot on. The players have received it and absorbed it. But we're going to get the same test again on Wednesday. Yeah. Hey, Buzz, we appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Have a good day. Thank you so much. Thanks, Buzz. Thank you, man. Buzz Williams there on the hotline. Uh, love talking to him on Mondays because he – I feel like I'm in the the practice. Like you know, he'll tell us. I just told him that this morning. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I, I feel like I'm there when he talks to us. Definitely. Always, always a good. I come in early for it. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. You think I don't like it? Yeah, it's great. When we come back here on Texas Radio, we're gonna re- recap the weekend. Yeah, we'll get into basketball, but we're gonna recap some football things happening out there. Some potential coaching changes out there as well. We'll continue looking back at the uh, the basketball game from the weekend and uh, maybe some additions to this roster. That and uh, obviously your phone calls and text messages on the AMB text line 979-693-1150. Billy's with us for the next hour. You're listening to Texas Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. Here we are. Hour number three, Texas Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. A full hour of Billy Lucci here on the program. Uh, you can text us up on the AMB text line 979-693-1150, 979-693-1150. Have a good weekend, buddy. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Dallas Friday, College Station Saturday, um, and Sunday, I guess. Watched a lot of football. Yeah, I did too. Um, Basketball. Quick little weekend. Basketball Saturday, football. Um, Like I said, Dallas Friday. You know, so it was – I loved it. It was good. I had a soccer tournament Good little off-season weekend is what I call them. Had a soccer tournament here in town, which I never get. Which yeah, is you so have to nice. drive everywhere. Oh, it was so nice. And uh, my youngest one had a, a really good weekend. So it was fun. Really? Good times. Yeah. Nice. Uh, this weekend, I'm headed to Miami. Oh, yeah. This is for my, my pleasure or no, kid, I mean, like tournaments? No, 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 no. Not that. My nephew's getting married. Oh, wait. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, my yeah. nephew's getting married. Um, and it's weird because I guess. Rehearsal dinner's on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Then my brother's got us going on a boat ride on Friday, and the wedding's on Saturday. So okay. it's kind of a different kind of a deal. It'll be nice. I'll come back on Monday, so I'll miss a, a couple fun. shows, but we're, we're looking forward to that. Uh, a lot of... Going to the mountains. I'm going to Jackson Hole. Are you going this weekend? Yellowstone style. When? Uh-huh. Um, Thursday, so you may need to patch me in for a Thursday appearance again because okay. Friday I'll be traveling. All right. So I'll go uh, Friday. I'll be traveling, but Thursday I'm heading to. Well, it'll be you and Bronny then on Thursday because I won't be here Thursday. I'm leaving. Oh, Thursday. you're leaving. Okay, yeah, perfect. Th- leaving Thursday. So yeah, great. Woo. Good segment, by the way. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get into some of the stuff from the weekend. Um, I guess well, I can start off with, with Santucci. Looks like yeah. uh, he's going to Duke. Yeah. Um, you already there. Already there. Okay. Was there actually was there Saturday with recruits. That was like, boom, I'm out. Um, it's like I said, man, that's going to work out best for everybody. Um, he stayed. Here's a little background on, on Sam Tucci. He came, there was one person that Mike Elko brought on the 
A&M plane with him from South Bend, Indiana, five years ago, and it was it was Tyler Santucci. That's it. Then Elko made him his linebackers coach, and then Elko probably would have taken him to Duke right away. There were reasons that that Tyler and his family want to stay in town, and then at that you know in College Station, and then look it. If we're being honest, I think he, he got that assistant DC title or co-DC or whatever they gave him. Um, there was a stretch there where I think he believed that he was going to get the co-DC title with Elijah Robinson. And I'm not saying that they, I don't think he was ever led to believe that was a done deal, but I think he thought it was a very real chance that that could happen. And, and then they hired Durkin. And again, like this wasn't a guy that pouted through. Um, but I think he said, man, there's a chance here that I could be co-DC at A&M, Texas A&M, with the knowledge of, of Elko's system more so than anybody here. It was a, it was a, I think it was a calculated risk. That, hey, if they can't hire the right guy, you know, there's a real chance this could fall to me. It didn't. And a year later, he's moving on. In between, he also, you know, keeping him and Elijah was a huge key to them keeping that recruiting class together. Yep. Those relationships, and I know people think, well, he didn't get any linebackers, and we'll talk about that in a second. But those two guys helped hold the whole thing together along with Terry Price. They were a big deal because the kids were saying, whoa, wait a second. And they were told the defense is going to look a lot the same, da da da. And now it didn't as much as, as maybe we thought it it would, and I think that they're telling the guys this offseason, hey, then year two under Dirk, and they're going to add a lot more stuff and be a lot more aggressive up front. With the guys. So I'll be really interested to see how this spring sounds and looks and moving forward. But those guys, if, if you'd have lost Santucci and or Robinson a year ago at this time, that class would have fallen apart. Before anyone says, well, it kind of did, it really didn't. You know, if you look at the key guys in it, uh, you lost a Denver Harris stings from a standpoint of you know, what he could have been, right. what he could have been. I don't think he ever would have been that here. Can he be it at LSU? Maybe, maybe not. You know, but outside of the, he and Anthony Lucas who were suspended there, I mean, you look at the guys that are coming back, you needed to keep them in that class, and they're going to be a big part of it. If, is it, if this team wins big this year and bounces back and then some, it's going to be because of the guys on that defensive side of the ball that are going into year two. I'm just telling you that right now on offense and defense, to be honest. But you still, at the end of the day, I, you know, linebackers struggled this year, and maybe there was a disconnect in, in like philosophy and scheme. That I don't know. That's possible. Um, DJ Durkin by trade is a linebackers coach. That's what he typically has done. He went and did safeties. So I, I really wonder now when they make this new hire, will Durkin be coaching linebackers and are you going to go look for a safeties coach? I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw that. Um, I think that would be almost like more optimal for, for what Durkin does. Mm -hmm. It's what he does. Um, there was that. And then, of course, look, you had a commitment of Harold Perkins for a long time. You lost him. You had a commitment of Anthony Hill for a long time. You lost him. They couldn't go at anything in the portal. Um, at the end of the day, you got to wear those as the position coach. 
it's the one, and, and I would say that Anthony Hill would probably tell you, and maybe even Perkins, the re, big part of why they committed was their early relationship with Santucci. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between that and closing. And look, I'd be lying if I said I thought that, that there was an NIL at play for any five-star recruitment anymore. So that factors in as well. But that's at every position. And at every position, A&M has been able to land the Hill, the Perkins-type players at every single position on the field. And they, they haven't been able to do it at linebacker. So I think he also looked at that. And, and, again, there's a lot of reasons why. But at the end of the day, like college football is a bottom-line business. Yep. He knew that. And he probably looked at Duke. And if I'm putting myself in his shoes, I'm going – I did this thing. It is high pressure. It is highly charged. People, I, he, he's got to know that people are, are coming for me all over message boards, social media, and that's okay. But then you also have to be like, I also know we lost two five-star linebackers in back-to-back -back classes. This would take a hell of a rally for me, which maybe he thought he could do it. He's a confident dude, he, yeah. uh, you know, and, and hard – insanely hardworking and I don't know him that well in fairness I know him say hi when we've seen each other we've talked I sat behind him at a at an Astros game last year wonderful person family everything but I don't know him day to day like I do other coaches like I have over the years so this is not like a this is just like I know good people and I know what I hear in that building he busted his ass mm -hmm. but you don't get the, you don't get the guys and you know you didn't get the guys Forget about the reasons why, and you look at the D-line and DBs and, and running back and wide receiver and tight ends, and you're going quarterbacks. Man, I got Duke over here, which is actually a promotion. And I stayed because I thought maybe I, I could be A&M's co-DC and really kind of the guy calling the shots. It didn't work out that way. I was a good soldier. Now I'm going. And I'm lucky enough that I can still go over there to Elko because Elko is his mentor. He is Elko's protege. He will go coordinate a defense at a place where I think he can recruit lights out, whether it's high school, portal. He can go load up there at Duke with players, with dudes that can play at that level in that program and elevate the program. And Nuno... You're working for your friend. You're working for a guy that you know believes in you 150%. And you get to coordinate the defense for a head coach that is defensive-oriented. So, not in a disrespectful way. I'm trying to think of a better way to say this than, than hold your hand. But you got someone sitting there overseeing it to whatever degree. I don't know how much Elko has gone big-picture program or if he's still sitting there. I have to think, knowing Elko, that he's heavily involved. Defensive staff meetings and stuff. So you got somebody there to, to bounce things off of and, and, and to give you advice when you need it at your spe specific task. It's a no-brainer for him. It's an opportunity. And, and I think, look, it might have prevented the inevitable from happening maybe in another year or so. But it also is an opportunity for Jimbo and Durkin to elevate their staff uh, recruiting-wise and maybe even also coaching where I'm not – Tantucci's about to be a DC at an ACC school. It's not about knowledge. It's about a fit, though, and maybe Durkin gets to go and say, hey, 
I'm going to find a better fit. And maybe it's in terms of just nothing, nothing beyond maybe I'm going to be able to get back to linebackers and get safeties coaching here that I know understands exactly what it is we do. Yeah, I'm so. thinking to myself, if you have an expertise in something, all right, so mine is in communications, broadcast, whatever, yep. and I'm overseeing a department and we're struggling on the show, Yeah, I would want to take over that and, and I could see Dirk and say like, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. This is where I have excelled in my career. Let me put my hands in that. And then if you are Santucci, you're like, like if you wait a year, you might not have a golden opportunity. You may not be uh, up and coming DC based on how the season goes, or you might even be higher. It's kind of like testing the NFL draft. Do you stay another year, or do you go now that the that you have an opportunity to be what you want to be, which is a defensive coordinator? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a no brainer for him. Just yeah. go over there and do it. And it's just it's I think it'll work. Out. But look, you better go make a good hire. This is an off season of opportunities for Jimbo and A and Like I said, it doesn't matter how quickly or how. And by the way, I think this one prediction, this one will wrap up quicker than any of them. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they had this wrapped up quicker than they do on offense. Which I wrote this the other day, and everybody, as they typically do, will take it and and ride it into. Hey, Billy just hinted at this, therefore it's happening. I don't know, nor do I think they know, if they're hiring a wide receivers or running backs coach yet. Um, I think they had some running back candidates, and now the it the kind of at some point to some degree, it shifted to okay. Technically, you could go wide receiver or running back. I think there's still. I, if you made me bet my own money, I want to say I think they would do running backs. The question is, what does you know? What does Damian Craig coach moving forward? Because by Petrino's quarterbacks, you're not gonna have him coaching tight ends or running backs. I wouldn't think Jimbo's gonna be, you know, in his role, and he does so much with quarterbacks. You know, maybe Jimbo's still quarterbacks. Petrino helps QBs and does the whole offense. I, how that's gonna work? But quarterback seems spoken for and taken. You can't put Damian at QB and then just hire two more offensive coaches. There's right. only room right now for one offensive coach to be added. Um, so it was a different Coley too. So, yeah, so you've got, you've got is Damien do. I don't think you move back to wide receiver after moving him away from it. So does he do tight ends? Does he do running backs? Do you hire a running backs coach? And Damien does tight ends. Do you hire a receivers coach and Coley does tight ends and Damien does running backs. I, you know, I don't know how, how it all fits it's it's a little bit confusing to me as i sit here right now but we'll see what they do um they but it sounds though whoever the best candidate that emerges at running backs coach or wide receiver coach whoever it may be and that they end up hiring at least you have some flexibility with the guys that you know I can yeah and i still think they're looking for a running backs coach but i i know i also think that I think defense will get resolved quicker. I actually have it on enough authority, contrary to what, uh, who is it? Panther Ag seems to think. <laughs> I saw that. Just from people, it, it, I'm trying to keep a group of people educated and informed, and there's a small group of people that want to do everything they can to second guess and counter and just completely forget that a lot of times, like, yeah, I'd love to sit here and, air out every piece of dirty laundry and inside info and how the sausage is made. 
and so much of that would do no good to people across the street. So unless there's some world we live in where they have completely crossed me or us and it's like, hey, you do your thing, we do ours, I'm, I'm always, you know, going to err on the side of caution to not screw up their, their process. Um, and a lot of times, if, if you think that they've missed on X number of guys, it screws up the process to a yeah. degree, to a large degree. Um, people around the profession start going, why does no one want that job? And I made the simple statement the other day that, yeah, I think it's Jimbo's finding it more difficult to get some of these hires across the finish line. And uh, for some reason, a couple people took offense to that, almost like it was personal, but it was just a chance for them to say, oh, well, maybe Billy doesn't know. Like, dude, I'm just stating a very simple fact that you can look at and understand. And, and oh, by the way, I've got some insight and inside knowledge behind that. It's not a bad thing. I mean, it's not, you, it's not good. You'd rather it be the other way around, but it's not like, okay, job's tougher than it's been in the past. Just plow a year ago, it. you could get the guy you wanted. Yeah, plow through it, figure it out. They go, they go hire coaches to fill those spots today. But he's concerned about getting the right one. Like I said, like with the OC thing, everyone, there would have been so much less if it would have been Phil Longo. They did not want Phil Longo. They did not want Montgomery, who's at Auburn. They did not want the guy at South Carolina that they actually interviewed. They didn't want those guys. Wisconsin, South Carolina, Auburn. Those schools wanted them. That's fine. But people would have been like great with Longo. Oh man, he had he had Drake May. Look what he did with Drake May. Look what he did with that Carolina offense. Then we say, why did Carolina not want him? TCU hang hung on to the guy that AM made the original push for in Garrett Riley. Garrett Riley ended up at Clemson. We talked about kind of the rationale behind that and why I kind of think he probably made the right choice for him in his career path right now. But TCU was able to hang on to him. And everybody, you know, but then they lost him. They went and got a guy in Kendall Bryles that some of the Arkansas people were okay with leaving. Some weren't. Right. That was controversial. And A&M, I said from the get-go, they could have had Kendall Bryles multiple times. He wanted the job. He wanted out. I think he wanted, he looked at Mississippi State. TCU came about. He's gone. Um, they, didn't, they didn't pick him either. They pick Petrino. It's funny they catch more grief for hiring Petrino than TCU does for hiring a Bryles. It's funny how that works with this, with this uh, highly hypocritical national media that are in no way held accountable, ever. They're in no way held accountable for that. And it's just, it's wild to me. But they do it. Um, but anyway, my point is, it doesn't matter, like, if it's not going perfect, you plow through it. It's not an insult. Right. You still, they still have a chance to upgrade their staff offensively, and I think Petrino was a massive step in that direction, and now defensively. My prediction is that the defensive one falls into place very quickly. If I have a feeling they've already got kind of the plan on exactly what it is they want to do and who they want to do it with. I, I think that one could be in, in a matter of days. Let's hit a break. We'll come back with some uh, additions.
or at least an addition to the uh, roster. We'll talk about that. But right now we're talking Caldwell Country Chevrolet Highway 21 and Caldwell online at caldwellcountrychevrolet.com. I was texting back and forth with Zach Hester. He was recommending I do something, and I'm going to follow his his lead there because he knows uh, he tries, he takes great care of his customers. That's the bottom line there. They're a proud supporter of Aggie Athletics, by the way. Uh, they hold their staff to very high standards when it comes to taking care of customers. And, you know, that's why uh, people continue to go there, like R.C. Slocum and Billy and – Dante Hall, I bought my car there too. They are just, uh, that's what they do. They take care of their own and they they love serving the Brazos Valley. Uh, they also uh, want to make sure that whatever vehicle you're looking, you're looking for, that they help you find the right one because it's not their vision, it's your vision. Your budget, your kind of situation, they'll make sure that you find it and great trade-in values there when you go to Caldwell Country Chevrolet. It's a short conversation away, but you'll see the difference when you step on the lot and you do business with Zach and the fellows there at Caldwell Country Chevrolet. Highway 21 and Caldwell online, caldwellcountrychevrolet.com. Go say hi to Zach and the fellows there at Caldwell Country. Texas Radio, we are presented by David Gardner Steelers. We're here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. Billy's with us here for the next 34 minutes or so, whatever the time is. All right, Billy, uh, Tyron Smith, UTEP 5'7", speedster, can make some big plays. He's the uh, newest addition to uh, A&M's wide receiver room, which is looking pretty good. I like it, and I think if you'd have given me the chance, option of having him or Tyler Harrell, I would go with him. And people are melting down about me saying Tyler Harrell. I don't think A&M's going to get the Alabama slash Louisville transfer. So that was um, not in the works right now, you don't think? I, I think it's trending Miami's way. I, I don't even know necessarily if it's Miami, but it's not trending A&M's way, and I think it's Miami. Um, but and, and it looked good for them coming off the visit. But then you had people saying, this guy was on campus, and then he left and immediately doesn't like us. Something's wrong. No, he wasn't here this weekend. That was Smith. If you gave me the option, this is the guy I'm going with, with his 1,600. And you could say where it's at, and that's one thing. And, and look at the receiving yards. Look at the production. Look at what he did this past season, over 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns. You go look at some individual games and who he did it against. Um, the knock on him is going to be his size. He is a playmaker. And... Someone on there posted that he had battled with some key drops. He said hurt him in some games. But I would say if he caught as many passes as he did with seven touchdowns and over 1,000 yards, he also won them some games there at UTEP this year. He's got multiple years left, which I think is significant. Heck yeah. Um, and he's also uh, – I mean, the dude's a water bug, playmaking type of guy that I think could also help you in the return game. I, li- I like the pickup a lot with what they've got at receiver. I'd love it if you bring back Anias Smith. I think Anias is still kind of hanging out there. Whether he goes pro, whether he comes back here, he's, I think he's kind of hanging out there still. It would be massive to, if they could keep him. If you went Moose, Stewart, Noah, Anias, mm. Tyron Smith, now you start looking at your top five. Those freshmen coming in, I think maybe today or tomorrow we might find out about Cottrell. They might have two of these freshman receivers already okay, here this. going through the offseason in the spring, which helps their ability to contribute early. So you will have addressed that. Now, would I wanted them to see would I want to see them go get A. D. Mitchell out of the portal? Hell yeah. He went to Texas. That's a problem yep. if you're AM. Why did he go to why did he go to Texas and you couldn't get him out of Georgia? And the Aggies would have been interested. Um you had ties to Georgia on this staff, you know. Um, and, and there he is going to Austin, where they have a ton of receivers, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got Whittington deciding he's coming back worthy for now. I think they're getting a little 
comfortable there in that fan base, assuming he's coming back. Um, again, though, with Smith, I think he's a contributor next year significantly. I think he can come in and, and play at wide receiver and play at this level and produce. I talked to some people that coached against him that think he's really good, like really good, and said, yeah, of course, you can absolutely go play at a and I, I I thought the need was for maybe a big outside guy, but also the need is for playmakers. And by the way, if you do lose Anias and he does go pro or he doesn't play at A&M, you go look at – you're going to be really excited and really happy that you, Got this that you landed this 5'7 receiver from UTEP on the day where some people chose to worry about uh, – a really fast guy that I would I would also love to and would have loved to have added, but that has produced far less than than, than Smith in their collegiate career. So if if they don't get Harold, do they maybe add another wide receiver, or they it's still the TBD on what happens? With it Anias? might be TBD on Anias. I think they'd love to. You just still don't have. I don't think the the quite the numbers, but you, look with Smith, you have four kind of let's call them proven guys. On whatever level, then you got a couple freshmen coming in. Um, I still think you would need to add one if you didn't have a nice, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, as far as the portal in general, I think so far they've still, uh, it's even after this edition, I would still say they've done a, a, they've got a poor grade in terms of what they've been able to bring into the roster, although. I think Tony Grimes is like an A-plus addition. I think Tyron Smith is a really nice addition. Mm-hmm. Um, I still see nothing at linebacker. Okay, maybe with this hire on defense, whether it's linebacker or safety, maybe they hire a guy that kind of in the old days of AAU basketball, they kind of make a hire that a player comes with them. And maybe not immediately day one, but maybe down the road. Maybe Penn at LSU, who was that close, uh, and like I said, I believe he even requested to enter the portal, their second leading tackler, maybe because LSU went out after the portal had closed and this kid had come back out of it, and they went and got Spates from Oregon State, who was a guy you would have loved to have seen A&M get. Again, another rival getting a player that, but maybe he saw that. Maybe he goes in the portal the second time around. Who knows? Um, I heard it, I heard of a big name DB from in state that was very close to entering the portal this time around. He's going to give it one more shot through the spring. Maybe he enters. So yeah, there is time to still do it. But as we sit here today, I think they've 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 been outmaneuvered and outflanked in, in the portal so far. They have not been able to fully address the needs that are out there. And and. But don't discount a guy like Tyron Smith or a guy like McCall from Florida State who is incredible, insanely talented. He was a borderline five-star. You know, we're crying about losing, say, Smoke Bowie, and you've added a guy that was almost exactly ranked. Right. And they both seem never to quite get comfortable enough in their environments in Tallahassee and in College Station, yet... Texas A&M was willing to take McCall and Georgia was willing to take Smoke, which surprised me, by the way. I'll be interested to see if they move Smoke to wide receiver or something because just with the way Georgia plays defense and that physicality and yeah. the way they tackle and stuff, I just 
he's so he's so small. Um, it'll be interesting, but I think he's a big time playmaker, maybe at receiver. So and maybe at A and M held on to him. Maybe they could have done that with him. I don't know. As things stand though, at linebacker, can they go into the season as is? I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, can you they better have freshmen. You know, you better have freshmen like York. But to me, you know, Sanford and Johnson are, I wouldn't call them developmental, but they're just physically not filled out with those, their longer, more rangy frames and like a Tory and York, and they're not physically filled out as much to where I think they come in and, and, and you plug them in there against SEC. You know, Edrin Cooper was really rangy and skinny and it, and it affected him as a freshman, um, but he still had a little more to him physically at that point. So I, I don't know. Like, Martrell Harris has to be really good, and I think he could be. But, and then you got Russell, but you got, you're really going into the season with three linebackers. And I don't know, is there a plan for Eni White? Is there a plan for uh, any of these other guys to stand up? Everybody talks about Damani spinning, but I don't, I really don't think that's in the works from asking around a little bit. I think I don't think that's what's kind of planned. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're really asking for trouble. You know, Edger and Cooper missed games last year. I'm pretty sure Chris or Andre White missed half a season last year. Cooper missed games. Low-key, one of the guys that really hurts you not coming back is Andre White. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think he was a he was by no means a, a difference maker. He wasn't. If he was, he'd be playing somewhere other than Georgia Tech. But he was a solid player. He was a solid player for you, and he would have played a lot, provided depth, if not started as a guy that played a ton of football. Those are the kind of guys you don't want to lose in the portal, but those are also the guys you want to bring in. There's Andre White's everywhere. And what I mean by that is there are guys that have played a lot of football and been solid players for power, in Power 5 conferences that are looking for something a little more, or maybe their position isn't quite solidified. And A&M has not gotten one of those guys yet, and it's, yeah. not, by, it's not for lack of trying. So, And again, it goes back to the to the Santucci thing, you start going, man, for whatever reason, we're not getting that guy at that position. And really that position only, David. Yeah, I got, I got to think that after, and we got to hit a break, but spring ball, there's going to be somebody who's like not happy with their situation. Like, dude, A&M needs linebacker? Yeah. I, I got to really entertain that. I, yeah. At least that's how my brain is thinking. Like that, that opportunity will present itself. When you really need one DB and one, one linebacker to really feel infinitely better about where you're at, they can do it. The problem is they haven't done it yet. And if you're Jimbo Fisher, if you're not really asking your staff why, and, and at this point I'd be getting pretty frustrated with them. Yeah. And I'd say, why the hell aren't we, not just all of you, but why aren't we able to get some of these guys? And why, do, why are we, at, with every guy, there's some reason, well, it was a trainer, or well, it was you know, this guy, there was depth issues at this position. They were worried about what... Why aren't these guys worrying about this at other places? Yep. You know, so I, I would be asking the tough questions right now. I think this is, yeah, I think that time would have happened even a lot sooner to ask the tough questions there.
All right, we'll come back with some more here. We'll talk some Maggie basketball when we come back. Right now, uh, Holly emailed me this morning, said that she was happy to see so many Texaggers, if you will, at uh, Bonfire. They came up and said hello, and they said, hey, we heard you on Texag. That was cool. She wants to remind you guys she's super excited about these uh, new breakfast tacos that are back on the menu, I should oh. say. Yeah. The sweet pork and the machaca. Can you say that? Machaca? Machaca. Yeah, you got, you got the great pronunciation. Machaca. It's sautéed jalapenos, onions scrambled into the eggs and served with their barbacoa-style beef. Delicious out there. Uh, and it's just a place that you want to go check out. You know uh, Holly and what she does. She brought uh, Costa Vida to this market because, uh, hey, she loves the uh, the freshness of the food. Baja-inspired Mexican restaurant, ultimate fresh mix, major way, exactly the way you love it. Fresh and scratch-made. You can t- taste the difference when you go there to Costa Vida where every ingredient matters out there some of their signature dishes to try the sweet pork quesadillas the raspberry chipotle chicken salad shrimp tacos mango mango salsa and the chips and queso they got great drinks you name it uh, breakfast tacos coffee lunchtime dinner time it does not matter go check it out there at costa vita in south college station again it's costa vita in south college station and we're back Texags radio we are presented by david gardner's jewelers in the rollo insurance studio Billy is with us. So we talked to Buzz about an hour ago. Um, always loved catching up with Buzz. That game this weekend, just it just didn't seem sustainable, and it yeah. ended up being that way. You can't keep turning the ball over and can't keep not getting the offensive rebounds. And then Sheboy didn't even play most of the first half and win yeah. that game. Yet they did have their chances in the last few minutes. No, it wasn't sustainable. But as you watched it, you kept going, yet they're still Here. up. Yeah. Yet they're still... You know, they fell behind by five or so, and they didn't let it get away from them. Yet they're, they're down six. They chip back into it. And they, as we've seen them do, they hung tough. They battled. There were times where you thought they could win that game. Um, that score is very deceptive, nine-point game. But, um, look, they, they, didn't, they had individuals that didn't play like we've mm-hmm. gotten used to seeing them play. They had, you know, Marble left the game for a little bit there. Marble was in foul trouble. So was Sheboy. I, I was wishing they could have attacked him even more. But he did foul a lot, and they didn't call it. Yeah. I mean, he should have picked up his fourth foul much sooner than he mm-hmm. did. Um, you didn't have Marble for a long stretch there to really attack. Not that long of a stretch, but a stretch there Not when enough. you could have gone after him. Uh, and then when you had Coleman in there, he too was one foul away from being in trouble there. So it changed up kind of how you could have even attacked Sheboy to try to get him out. And again, like I said, the guy was fouling. He was hacking, throwing elbows at midcourt. I thought it was pretty goonish behavior by him. Uh, lost some respect for how he plays. And But I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Like, do what Marble did. Shove his ass down. Yeah. Uh, go in there and fight back against him. And, and by the way, the reason Marble left the game wasn't even a – it wasn't a shot from a Kentucky player. That was Dexter Dennis running into him. Mm-hmm. You know, they were both fighting for a rebound. Uh, but look, they had certain guys that weren't on their game. They, as a team, just didn't quite, you know, again, the, the turn. And Kentucky had something to do with that. Those are elite players and athletes on that side. And they're starting to figure it out. But like Buzz said, they gave up something to diminish Sheboy's impact. And, they made- and then they were, they were hitting shots. Now, some of those were wide open, and maybe having Solomon out there, he covers a little more ground on the closeout. Maybe that – how did that factor in? I Absolutely. Don't know. You know, he, he is a weapon in that regard, and he seems that 
the hustle and the length he's got there. It definitely hurt them not having him. Uh, but I, the other thing was I, I thought they uh, – down the stretch, Kentucky hit some actual not wide open threes but some tough shots. They did. Uh, you know, they had one, one guy heats up, hits a couple of tough runners there that it kept A&M at bay. It kept the pressure from being – it kept the pressure from, like, firmly being on Kentucky. It, it gave them just that two-possession – little comfort zone there down the stretch and credit Kentucky for making shots. But the Aggies, they didn't play their A game. They didn't play bad. I thought they played their B game and their B game is not going to be enough to go win at Rupp Arena against a hot Kentucky team. I think we're going to look back at the end of the season and I don't think Kentucky is going to be great. I think they're flawed, but I think you can go back and look at the big, at the end of the season and say, how – South Carolina winning at Kentucky is going to be the most bizarre single-game outcome in yep. the SEC all year. I agree. Look, Wade struggled. Uh, yep. He struggled for a little bit. I love his game when mm-hmm. he's on, but when he's not, he needs to. But I, I guess and players look, eight like – Eight rebounds, seven assists. He affected eight, the game points, beyond just shooting, yes. But he – but but – what were the, what was the turnover number there? I don't know. It's not on there. But I thought, you know, you didn't get. He had four turnovers. Henry yeah. Coleman had five. He yeah. had four. So there's nine, nine turnovers between two of your veterans. Mm-hmm. They can't happen. Nine of your and sixteen cannot happen. And, and I'm sure they go back and look at that and go, man. And and this is the second game in a row where where Henry's probably walked away. You know, going back to Florida where he fouled mm-hmm. out of that one. He's had a struggle and. I think when, when that happens with Henry, I kind of always expect him to bounce back with a big couple games. Yeah. So that's coming. Um, but, but Wade, you look, some of that too is to me, you look at certain guys against these teams that are loaded with like NBA caliber length and, and athletes, and you look at what did Hefner do? Let me look at Hefner's numbers. Hefner, because defensively, he you know that no become, points, no yeah. shots, one defensive rebound. And How many minutes? Eight minutes. And it's and it's tough mm-hmm. with guys like that. I think against the, these kind of matchups. Isaac Gordon, Hefner, you know, you think of Hefner on the defensive end. Look between those three guys on your bench: Garcia, Hefner, and Gordon. Either one or two of those guys have stepped up recently. Mm-hmm. Combined, they had five points. Yeah. I think Garcia can match up a little more defensively with mm-hmm. this kind of athleticism and length and talent, but I think it's harder. The guys, you know, Wade is is a small guard. When you go against a bigger backcourt, you know, and and Hefner, defensive on the defensive end, I think he has issues against a sure. team like with that. There's a lot of NBA guys on the floor for Kentucky Saturday, and and I think it also affects Henry in terms of down low. The length, the that that quick leaping ability, you know those type things. There aren't many teams on the A and M schedule that'll do that, that can put that kind of and, and yeah, Bama would be one of them. Um, but I don't think there aren't there aren't many that they're going to play that will present that kind of issue. You don't win on the road typically when you get out rebounded as much as they did, no. turn the ball over more, and shoot poorly like you did. Like, and like Buzz said though, when the other team shoots almost twenty more shots than you. And that ties directly into the two the turnovers and the rebounding. You let them get second half mm-hmm. chance points. You don't get any because you're not getting offensive rebounds. 
um, and then you're turning the ball over. It's almost a miracle that they hung in as long as they did. And that, to me, was the weird way I was encouraged. As I said, that wasn't their A game, and it was it was up in the air with you know a minute and a half, two minutes left there. Yeah, and they did not have their A game at all. All right, let's hit a break here. We'll come back with some final thoughts here on a Monday. It is Texags Radio, presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. Final segment of the program, Texags Radio, presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. Saw a tweet. It might have been Nick Wright. I don't know who it was, but it was. I usually disagree with him, but he he said that uh, it's about time that uh, Joe Burrow gets his props because not only has he beaten um, Buffalo, he's also beaten Patrick Mahomes. Yet we always hear about Josh Allen and not Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is the truth, man. Well, who the hell has said he's not? But I, I think you hear more about the Mahomes versus Allen talk than you hear about Burrow. I think that was because the Bengals, the way the season started, yeah, the Bengals were struggling early. I mean, I'm talking about in like the first five games, and the Bills shot off and were rolling, and it was the Chiefs, and 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 yeah, I I get what he's saying, but at the same time, like I look. Just put a little common sense to it. It's the way the season started, and everybody circled those two teams and thought they were on this collision course, and that narrative kind of stuck. And maybe we would have changed that a month or so ago had had the Bengals won that game in Cincinnati, you know, if, they, if it had been played. And thank God, like we saw DeMar Hamlin at the game, at the, game the other day, yeah. which was incredible. But had that game been played and the Bengals continued to – go up and down the field like it looked like they were starting to do, and then what they did in Buffalo, that narrative probably would have changed then. But it's just how the season started. Joe Burrow, man, look, I think he's a – he's like he's, he reminds you of like a Joe Montana. He's that type of dude. He is like literally the same first name. You could describe them both as Joe Cool. It's incredible how poised and just how confident – cocky mm-hmm. in a good way he is he's fun to watch he's a great player he's got a great receiver they have a great running back um i thought they have a great coach look zach taylor an old castle rock resident ga here at AM. it's crazy to think that in the spring of 2011 or no that would be someone would have been here the spring of 2010 there were a couple guys here that weren't coaching that were kind of helping out, and one taught the other one a little bit about tight end because he was going to be like a GA with the tight end. Dan Campbell and Zach Taylor. Mm-hmm. Dan was living in a trailer over here, uh, like literally here at 2818 in Wellborn in this trailer park. He had his fifth wheel back there. I remember one night me, him, Seth, and, and Marco Rivera, the old cowboy lineman, sat in there because Marco was doing the same thing with coach Sherman and we were sitting there talking about these young true this true freshman lineman that was here early and Luke Jokel and and talking about some young players on the team and I think at the time I'm not mistaken was Johnny Manziel here that spring or not anyway but they just what was going on here at A&M at that time is fascinating and one of them now is a guy who maybe could have been coach of the year in the NFL, and the other one is one game away from taking a team to the Super Bowl in back-to-back seasons. They've done a great job with Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow's great. He's, He's elite. Great. He's incredible. 
he's better than Josh Allen. He just is. And, and I do. So if that's what he's trying to say, I agree with that. I think the dude is one of the, he and Mahomes are the two best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Thank you, Billy. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks to uh, Billy, Tom Hart, who's on the program. Buzz Williams, of course, he was great. And uh, Olin Buchanan. Tomorrow on the show, Joni Taylor going to be with us. Happy to get her on the show after a, a, a much-needed and a relieving victory, though. So we'll have Joni on the show. We will also have, uh, let's see, we got uh, Coach Henry joining us. We've got Mark Weaver joining us. I think he's bringing a couple players, too. So we'll have a lot to get into tomorrow on a Tuesday. My thanks to Nick. My thanks to Kay Nagley and Sean there about the mothership. That is going to do it for Tech Sags Radio on a Monday. We'll catch up with all of you. Manana. <laughs>